Download episodes of previous shows. Welcome to the podcast. jungle brighten up those already bright mornings wheeler ollie and lecter mornings at the cabin mornings at the cabin indeed wheeler lecter with you on your tuesday morning it is 11 degrees and the sun just broke through on franklin i'm looking at some pretty dark clouds though right now uh let's see what the norwegians have to say about the weather uh let's see well that's not the thing i wanted what do they? What, what? Let's see. YR dot no Norwegian. That's what weather. I'm doing right now. YR dot no. This is like apparently the most accurate weather in the entire world. I have 16 today and clouds. That's it. But it's not calling for rain. Although we do see some uh, pretty gray clouds out there. Oh well. The Norwegians seem to be right about most things. I guess I haven't looked at it on this computer before because it's saying my locations include yep. Oslo, yes, Berlin, and Tokyo. Yeah, mine too. I think they just have like default locations. Oh, I okay. have, uh, I have uh, your Raven, Oslo, Trondheim, and Trumpska. Trumpska. Yeah. All right. Well, wait. What is the O with the line through it? How do you pronounce that? Oh, it's a, I have it's no a idea. Norse. It's a Norse. Holly probably knows. Trumps. Yeah. Trumpsy. Maybe. I uh, don't know. But yeah, today, high of 16. There you go. Yeah. Not bad. A little bit of sun, mostly cloud. Sun, mostly cloudy. It was pretty much bang on yesterday. There you go. I don't know if you were keeping track. I was not. Uh, it rained a bit. It sunned a bit. And we got rained on a bit last night. Slow pitch. Slow pitch recap coming up. Um, we'll try to get one of those kids in here at some point. I want to have Katrina on the show. But she never shows up this early. She also showed up to slow pitch and then for like five left? minutes, didn't talk to anybody, and then and then dipped. What is with these interns? What a weirdo. Jeez. She looks exactly like me. That's why she had to get out of there. That's right. Ah, I don't know what I look like. Mornings at the cabin, the podcast. Mornings at the cabin, brought to you by Aurora Ford, driving the North Wheeler and Electric with you on your Tuesday morning. Um, what do you want to talk about first? We, let's, we should we do the slow pitch recap? Yeah, why not? Is she right. here? Yeah, she is. She's around somewhere. I don't know. She'll probably just trundle in at some point. Um, but uh, we had another Such an slow- unflattering word. <laughs> it really is trundle. It's like chortle when people are like, "What are you chortling about?" This is a chortle. <laughs> 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 um, so we had a slow pitch game last night against Quit Your Pitching, and I have so many great names out there on the slow pitch uh, slow pitch uh, boards, right? I mean, there's a lot of. A lot of pitch a lot of, metaphors. A lot of puns. A lot of puns. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the better. Right. That's the word. Not metaphors. Take me home tonight puns. is probably is probably one of the best ones, right? Best jerseys. But great jerseys. Other than ours. Other than ours are pretty good. Oh, and the Royals have great jerseys as well. Oh! Oh! Oh, my God. There she is. Trundle's not the right word. A severe ass kicking right through the door. Sarah Oh, Sibley. she just opened up a can. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Whoop ass everywhere. Oh, God, it smells. Um, <laughs> Stone Cold Sarah Sibley in the building. Um, do you want this up? There you are. Howdy. Howdy doody. <laughs> howdy doodly. Uh, howdy doodly, neighborino. Um, Sibley joins us for a little slow pitch recap. We played uh, quit, quit Your Pitching last night. Another loss chalked up by the Cabin Radio team, but a close game. 
12-9, we believe, is the final score. And uh, I think we had more home runs written than that on our sheet. Though. More home runs? Or sorry, no. More, more runs. runs. More runs. Let's yeah. not get ahead um, of ourselves. Here. Jesse got a grand slam, though. What, was it a grand, grand slam? No, it wasn't a grand slam. It was We're, just a home run. Wow. Two, was, it, was there someone on base for that? Was there two, it was a two-run homer? I think yeah, it was. There was yeah, Sam, there was there was Sam and Gavin. Sam and Gavin was a three-run yeah. homer? Yeah. There you yeah. go. My Almost first, a grand slam. First yeah, homer of the year. I was hitting them all the way deep last night. Every one of my ones yeah. hit, went yeah. uh, went pretty deep last night. So I was actually getting, my timing was good, and I was actually hitting okay. We need your mom to come out and watch more games. That's right. She brought ice cream sandwiches. That's also a oh. Actually, no, that's not true. She didn't bring them. She brought a cooler, which we put the ice cream sandwiches in. So last night, yesterday, I worked with Gavin. He works over at Ford, and uh, it's his birthday, so I went over and wished him happy birthday. And uh, I said, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, oh, I'm going to play ball. I was like, oh, you're going to come play for us? He's like, yeah. Heck he said yeah. his perfect birthday was, a, you know, a, a nice dinner mm-hmm. and uh, 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 and some ball. Yeah. Aww. That's what he likes to do yeah. on his birthday. I was like, oh, great. And he's like, so I'm going to bring uh, I'm gonna bring ice cream sandwiches. And I was like, okay, great. And I, because he's only played a couple of games, I put it in the group chat on the, uh, on the uh, Facebook there. I was like. I'll come, but only if I got an ice cream sandwich, which was a tip of the cap to Gavin. Uh huh. And then Jay Bear, being the thoughtful person that he is, brought ice cream sandwiches. Oh my! Unfortunately, he didn't think his thoughtfulness through, and brought nothing to put them in. <laughs> so he brought, he handed them to me. I was like, "That's really sweet. They're already melted." <laughs> um, a little pregame snack. A little pregame a little, snack, which a is smush? oh, absolutely yeah. perfect, perfect snack for a pregame. Well, who would have thought they would last that long? That's right. Yeah. Right. But Gavin brought his. He brought a cooler. So we, uh, my mom, I had a uh, had a cooler as well because I told her to bring beer. She did. I. It's the first time she's ever listened to me. Um, <laughs> but so I had an ice cream sandwich and a nice cold brew, which Very is nice. a, yeah. a winning combination. Apparently, in your stomach. Uh, and for Gavin to top it off, he was MVP last night. Yeah. Oh, don't uh, go. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, I, I figured. I figured this was coming. To be completely oh, honest, I don't know what I got to do to be MVP <laughs> in one of these friggin' games. Scored a couple of runs. Hit a three-run home run. Uh, was I'm, catching I'm, everything that came I'm out there. Yeah. I'm out there. I'm out there coaching coaching the team on the field. Yep. Tell them where to go. Tell them what to do. Throwing you know, out million-dollar chirps. You know what you have to do? Have not, my birthday? I was going to say not have your birthday in December. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the boat. there was a, a lady on the other team. It was her birthday. She was MVP, too. So we were just being, like, real, real frivolous with the whole MVP thing. I mean, like, she, she did pretty good. arguably deserved yeah. it. I mean. Yeah. She was pretty good. I don't know Gavin if I would come out. Gavin well. Gavin does play very well. Yeah. Don't get me Gavin's wrong. Gavin. Gavin is, the, is an MVP. But, yeah. I mean, he's not a slow-pitch guy. He's a fast pitch guy. Well, he plays just, slow pitch occasionally. I mean, you were. I, I have to agree with you here. You first thing, first thing you said to me when I came in. Yeah. I don't know what I'm gonna do. do. <laughs> to get one of these MVPs. Now this is all a good fun because I mean it's not it's not part of my life my life goal that I need to be an MVP sure. at a slow pitch game. Simply. Well, not anymore. I already I'm, got MVP. I'm not Zach I'm Efron not. at some point. On <laughs> yeah, I know you did. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've been in a movie with Zach Efron. You can I'm have one of mine. Uh, no, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, one of Scott's many. <laughs> well, I showed Accolades. you. That's right. So every game, it's like, that Scott guy seems like a pretty good egg. Um, stands do, out. But good, he does big pitch. Hair. He does pitch very well. Um, I mean, uh, I'm going well, to take issue with that. Last night, he was just throwing junk out there. Yeah, the wind was crazy. Yeah, was it? Was right. it crazy? Yeah. I was going to tell you, you know what? It's okay to take a couple of steps forward if you'd like. I I was at the front of the, the, the pitching. Well, you stepped uh, all the way to there. the But, I mean, you took a couple of steps back. No, no, no. Uh, this is my rhythm. 
Okay. I only had one so, one unintentional walk. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, the others were intentional. The others, yeah, yeah. There, I got to get around this guy. I think there, I think there's only one walk. I'm not yes. mistaken. No, two walks. Two walks. Two walks. The other one was probably intentional. Sure. Yeah. That's right. Gotta That's get this guy on base. Get so, around him. so what Jesse's saying is he'll pitch next game and see if pitch. he can get. Oh, he pitched one inning. That. It was a complete disaster. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, though, like okay, so our defense. Really let us down again. <laughs> like I'm okay. just saying, a like, lot of that was me, and I apologize. No, you had a great stab out there, and I mean, like, it's hard. Like those balls get hit really hard to the left side. So I mean, it's a difficult thing to do. Like if you're not confident, try to pick up a ball, and it gets smoked at you. It's tough. So you made a yeah. couple of good, really good stabs. Yeah, so, which was great. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's like we proved that we can hit hit with them, no problem, and uh, and and all that. But I mean, like our defense is just atrocious. Also, their back catcher was like yeah. mad chirping us, and I was like, "Okay, this is I, I've never had a back catcher oh, that was, that was my fault. heckle me because I, yeah, I was I was I was chirping. Well, she'd be like, "This girl's not gonna swing," and I was like, "Girl, do you know me? I swing on everything. <laughs> yeah, I swing at garbage. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't like the bad back catcher was any good either. So it's, it's always the the chirpiest are usually, although you know, I was. I mean, you were pretty chirpy. I was getting it. I was getting it out <laughs> but there. But you were but I'm, feeling it. I'm trying to make it. Game. I'm trying to make people laugh out there, so it gets yeah. them off their game. I'm not trying to make people angry. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I wasn't angry. No. Okay. Good. good. I'm a very zen human being. Yeah, girl. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so another loss chalked up by the cabin radio heads. Yeah. Good, uh, game, good, good game though. Good game. We had a great game. Always fun. I got a little treat for you here, given that it was your first. Sock of a dinger yeah! over the fence last right night. This one goes out to you, buddy. Yes. I was thinking about I was thinking of the song yesterday. So I spit on my hands, knocked dirt from my spots, and pointed right towards Better this time I'm hitting the home, home run. This time my love is for real. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I've ever heard the rest of the song. Oh, it only goes on a little bit longer. Right. Got to get to the, the main line. That's right. There's Lisa. I used to be a roamer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'd cut it off there. Oh, there right. was some like weird grinding on the track. <laughs> it's funny that she says the seasons turn around for her now. It's likely my last game of the season. <laughs> um, so I finally got it. What? So that's your slow pitch recap. I figured this would go one or two well, ways. Well, by the for time him, I come back, I mean, like, there's going to be like three games left or something. Well, and it'd either be like, well, I hit a home run. That's it. I'm that's gonna it. Go out on top. That's right. Or it's like in golf when you have that one good shot after oh, a cruddy round. And it's like, well, that's the one that'll bring me back. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So one or two ways. Maybe I'll come back. Yeah. Maybe I'll come back. Another slow pitch recap done. Uh, Simply, thanks for joining us. Get back to work. The Mornings at the Cabin podcast. Hey, it was early. What do you want from us? What's up, Yellowknife? Never going to do that again. Um, at CabinRadio.ca, you will find a story by our own Emily Blake. Three companies to bid for YK Aquatic Center contract. Boom. The bids are coming in, and if you've ever participated in a bidding process for any kind of business, you know how painful and tedious this will be uh, for those companies. Uh, have you ever done a, a tender? No. Lecter? It's the worst. So for those of us who haven't. <laughs> so um, 
Well, I mean, in in the in the in the industry I'm in, uh, companies will put out tenders to like the three the three dealerships and say like, you know, th- this is what we're looking for, and they take the the best deal. Right. It, you know, they don't. I mean, there there are some companies who will be like, well, we had a good experience with you last time. Here we go again. Let's do it again. Right. And then other companies will be like, let's just put out tenders each time. Yeah. Because they want to spread it around. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then you know, certain like we'll fair you know, competition. You put everything sort of together. Thing. It's like these. This is the list of ads. This is, this is what we need in a truck. Perfect. Put it together. Try to get it as accurate as possible. Send it back. And here you go. It's a long process. Even for a couple of trucks, it takes. It can take a few months. Right. Right. So now imagine what it's going to take like, for an aquatic center that's, uh, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars. So it's going to cost between 52 and fi- 52.4 and 63.7 million dollars uh, with an annual operating cost of 2.3 to 2.7 million. Now, uh, 52.4 to 63.7, that's a pretty large swath. Mm-hmm. It's 11 million bucks. Yes. 11.3 to be exact. And now that was the report in 2020. Who knows what it's going to cost now with the price of lumber, you know, because there's going to be wood in there. Right. Yeah. So the city has invited Bird Construction Group, Clark Builders, and PCL Construction Management to submit proposals for the new facility by September 2nd. So they got a couple, they got a month and a half. Their designs will include a 25 meter, eight lane lap pool. Why, why 25? Why not just go with a 50? You know what I mean? Gotta save money. We're already at between 52 and 63 million. Amusement park water slide. uh, Well, we'll get to that. Leisure pool splash pad. Amusement park. And lazy river. Do we, like well, you mentioned this. Like you, re- we were reading the story, and you're like, and you even said, "What's a lazy river?" And I told you what it was, and he's like, and you were like, "Well, that seems like the least of our, like the least of the things we need." Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure it is. I'm sure they're nice. They're I'm nice. Sure they're really nice. You know where? You know what's really? I mean, it's. I, I guess it's great that you can like float in a river during the winter time. But yeah. I mean, like we've got rivers around that you can float in. We do. You know, really yes. nice ones. Yeah. Um. It's a it's a big not year round. Or it's anything. gonna take up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, like lazy rivers tend to take up a lot of space, um, and they're not like that fun. <laughs> like they're just you know you're just floating in a slow moving river. That's it. And I mean, like you why know, not an extra like, water slide? Well, and you're like you know you're indoors. Yeah. You, you don't have you know the the sun and like nature kind of around you like you do on a on a natural that's true. less lazy river float. Yeah, slightly less lazy. A slightly more invigorated river. Yeah. Um, um yeah. yeah there you go. So I yeah, I don't know that I knew that that was part of the overall uh the whole setup for uh, the yeah, proposal I, for the I kind of agree with you. I don't really think it's needed, but I just more room for other stuff, like a rope swing. Let's bring that rope swing back, baby. Yeah. What did that cost? Like that large twenty bucks? Yeah, that large. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> was that twenty bucks? That large Tons inflatable. That large inflatable snake that the pool used to have. Let's bring that thing back. Whoa, what's that? Oh my god, you've never seen this thing? No. Okay, so they had a large inflatable snake that was about I don't know, like ten meters long, about okay. thirty feet long, hmm. and basically the whole point was of it, like they attached it to where the diving board was and like put it out into the deep end. Okay. And the whole point of it was to try and run across it or like snake across it. You got to the head and then you you just kind of jumped off. Oh, and if you made it to the end, you were like the cool kid. Yeah, well, you were the snake. Right. Um, and it was great. And then you just jump off that thing or the the little pad that you used to have out that kind of floated but not really that you could kind of run on but not really and then fall into the water. Yeah. But the snake was the snake was aces. It was great. So the snake is probably I'm gonna guess like a you know, five hundred bucks. Like I that. mean, no, it's like, like reinforced like vinyl and uh, stuff like that. Okay. It's probably a couple a thousand. Than, probably a couple yeah. grand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but you know, but you, less, like for a good for like a top notch quality snake, less than a lazy river, less than a lazy river. Yeah. And back to this water slide. <laughs> hey, no, no, I'm all, I'm all for the water slide. If a, if a, if a super eight and high level can have a water slide, 
Our, our, the, the, the territory's, territory's capital should have a water slide at the swimming pool. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to the water slide. Okay. I like the idea of having, having a fun water slide, but I remember when we talked about this, uh, you know, when the, when the, the whole proposal about just the water slide in general yeah. had come up and it was like, well, it's either nothing or it's this like one and a half million dollar water slide. Those are your options. Yeah. And I was just like, isn't there something we can get for like 600,000? I am like, not with you on this. I want a water slide. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> here's an interesting part. And I'm sure this is part of like a huge processes like this. It just sounds odd. Right. City manager Sheila Bassett Kellett uh, uh, said that the two firms who pr- whose proposals are not selected will be given each $140,000 stipend. And that's to offset the cost because they got to come up with the, all the plans. They got to make it all, you know, they come up with the presentations. They got to pay people to, to, to consult. So that makes sense. But I mean, to, you know, to a person who's not familiar with these processes, be like, why? Why are they getting money if they didn't get it? You lost. Yes, yeah, exactly. What are you getting paid yeah, exactly. for? Well, I mean, it happens sometimes. When a company doesn't select my, my, my truck proposal, they send me a box of chocolates. Well, that's nice. That's not ha- That never happens. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen at all. Oh, okay. No, we just don't get the business. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's rolling now. Like, things are, things are in motion. So this is, this is how this is going to happen. One of these groups will underbid the other two, possibly win the, win the proposal. And then go over budget. This is just this is how these things work. Because I mean, in in a lot of these proposals, like there's there's sometimes like a fifteen to twenty percent, sometimes as high as thirty percent, like like basically leave. You know, it's just like this is your budget, this is what you've proposed, but we'll allow for like twenty to thirty percent. I think it's just going to be a matter of sliding scale based on that lazy river. They'll be like, how well, how, much how lazy can we make this That's right. river? Can it be almost standstill? Can it be like like a, a lazy stream? I'll bet you right now. I'm going to bet you $10. I'll bet you breakfast. Mm. All right? Lazy Creek. So the estimated uh, new aquatic center will cost between 52.4 and 63.7. That was the report by Taylor Architectural Group in uh, 2020. I bet you breakfast that that cost will go up on the new assessment. And then it will go over budget. We'll go prices right rules. Seventy-eight million. No deal. No deal. That <laughs> money's a little tight right now for breakfast. Yeah, fair know? enough. Yeah, no, no. Talking no, about God. these tens of millions of dollars. That's right. It's, like, it's just I, breakfast. <laughs> just like a bagel and a coffee. Let's make this bet. I go seventy-eight. We're not going to remember this. Seventy million. I'll write it up on the whiteboard right now. Seventy-eight million bucks is where the where they the the actual cost of this aquatic center. The actual retail cost. Actual retail cost of an aquatic center. All right. I guess I'll seventy go. million. Bucks. done. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Closest without going over. There it is. $78 million for the new aquatic center versus $1 from Lecter. And you know what? When you you add to the fact, when you add into just how much joy this is going to bring the hearts of many, Hmm. $1 is a great, great bid. Mornings at the Cabin, the podcast where we cut out all the great music and you're left with the rest. Mornings at the Cabin brought to you by Aurora 4 Driving the North. It's time for a little Olympics update. We invited Ollie in, but he's out doing stuff, out doing the work. Good for him. So it'll be uh, less expertise when it comes to the Olympics. He's got all the good stories. I'm just going to tell you what medals we've won. Do you think he's having a little FOMO? I hope so. (laughs) I hope he's having some FOMO. Uh, Canada up to eight total medals, two gold, three silver, three bronze. Won another bronze in judo. So We won our first one the other day, won a second one. Today, I say today as in, but it's yesterday, I guess, because 
right now in Japan, in Tokyo, it's 11 o'clock at night. So early this morning, while we were sleeping. No, it's 15 hours. You worked that out. While we were sleeping, this, that's what happened. So we got two in judo. Uh, the uh, women's softball team made history. First ever medal in that sport for Canada. They won the bronze medal game. Uh, also, we won another gold in weightlifting. Awesome. Oh, what do you know? Um, so, yeah, we're doing, uh, we're doing quite well. Oh, for goodness sake. Just waltz on in whenever you want. You own this land, after all. He or so you, you think. He heard you talk Olympics. <laughs> he was like, I better get in there. Make sure they know what they're talking about. The magistrates. The most excellent villain. Oh, oh. This is his hero music. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is the hero music. So first of all, the bit, thing you just said, let's be very clear. I do not think that and do not associate myself with oh, that. Oh, for goodness sake. Nobody took that seriously. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> no one takes anything we say on here seriously. Just have to check. Oh, my God. Well, did, did take I, your wig off. Did I, did I hear you celebrating Canadian achievements? Yeah. <laughs> here no, you, no, no, no. <laughs> here no, you, no, no. Here you are to poo-poo. No, just reporting. Yeah, just reporting, just reporting. Like, That's literally like, just going another like medal one. Eight medals today, wouldn't it? So eight medals in total. Eight now. medals is in total like now. A, yeah, yeah. Is that not like a, That's a good thing by Canadian standards, right? I mean, I, I mean, yeah. we could. Yeah. Sure. What's the most we've ever done in the Summer Olympics? I have no idea. Three. Three. All right. What do you have? Seventeen, for us? I think. I think you got seventeen sometime or other, and they were like all bronze at London twenty twelve, something oh. like that. I think we did really well in the Sydney Olympics. Relatively sure, seventeen at London twenty twelve. I don't know about Rio. Um, okay, but um, let's see. Yeah, go and have a look. It says two. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, but that's, Ma- that's Maggie McNeil. She's got a gold and a silver. Uh, yeah, I'm clicking on it. What, what stories do you have for us? You've got all the best stories. All right, you do that, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk do about this. Other I'm doing this. Uh, well, we haven't done the story about my dog going down Franklin Avenue. Do we don't want to do that story? Why are we doing the Olympics? Well, we could be talking about my dog going down Franklin Avenue. I'm That's on true. That. What That's did Sean do? Oh, yeah, of course. It was 44, but it was in Los Angeles oh. when uh, when uh, Moscow, when the, the Russians didn't participate. So everything was completely out of whack. So we didn't participate in 1980 in Moscow because, you know, Cold War. No, and I was then, one out for London. I was one out for London. And then 18. in 84, same thing. In Tokyo, right now we have eight. Rio, 22. Uh, 22 in Atlanta. So, I mean, those were two big years. The biggest year is 44, but the USSR was not participating that year. So, again, everything out of whack. How'd we do in Sydney? Was I way off? Sydney, we had 14. No, not, not great. Not, not, not great. terrible. Not terrible. Yeah, so Rio, 22. So, I have eight already in Tokyo. It's actually not bad. Not bad. Canada. Well done. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, yeah, the British are doing pretty well. Uh, how are they doing? Big day. I think we got uh, 12 at this point. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very nice. Which is the most Britain has uh, has had in a long, long time. At this really? Stage of game. Good and we, for and them. Britain finished second in the medal table at the last one. So. What is uh, Britain's, like, their, their, what is their sports? Like, their, their go-tos, the ones they are expected uh, so to win So, swimming, at. we got a couple of gold medals in so far. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, other than that, with track cycling, it's big. Okay. Mm-hmm. So track cycling is always uh, pretty nailed on for a gold medal or two at least. Right. Uh, diving, we're increasingly good at. We've already got I a mean, gold medal. Excellent dive for Tim Daly? Tyne Daly. Tyne? No, that's from Cagney and Lacey. Um, Tim Daly? Is that who it was? Close. Yeah, what was it? Tom Daly. Tom, Tom Daly. Tom and Tim. That's yeah. a very British sounding the syn- game. <laughs> the synchronized dive. But uh, their dive was incredible. Like, uh, I mean, for synchronized diving, it was about as synchronized as you can get. 101 points. I guess that's good. That's pretty that good. sounds you, pretty good. It's very tough to get 102. There you go. Mm. 
All right. What the genu- I know that sounds ridiculous. It is genuinely very tough to get 102. 101 point something is about as good as you can get for. A when is dressage? Uh, actually, just concluded. Team dressage concluded this morning. We were supposed to do a whole thing. Um, what was individual dressage? We can do it afterwards. No, no well, there's it's team just, dressage. There's two dressage gold medals. There's one for the team. There's one individually. How many horses do you have on the pitch for team dressage? Uh, so is you do it one pitch? after the other. Yeah, the dressage. What do they call it? I mean, it's just actually a sand pit. I suspect they're going to call it an arena. Yeah. Um, but they it's a sand pit, and they mark out eight different points on the edges of it using the letters A to H. And then the horses, you basically, you have to sort of move the horse in sequence from these different letters according to, you know, different moves and whatever your music is. It seems like a missed opportunity. Why not just use dressage as the letter points? And we have to spell out dressage. The horse, after all. I don't know. Dressage has eight well, letters. Yeah, it has eight letters, but several of them are the same. So what? Go the to horse. S. Yeah, that's right. Well, that I mean, one or that one. The horse can't tell. <laughs> no, never mind. Go to E. Go well, to that a- one or that one. Go to S south and S north. You know what? You got to choose your own path in dressage. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I think you have to follow a set path. The, I think um, it's time for a change. The, yeah, dressage. I love dressage. Great. Yeah. Uh, the, the cattle Because they do it to like Phil Collins mostly, and that that that's great because you get to pick your music that you dance to ah. oh nice yeah so they like, always you, you get a, they're always like you got to remember that generally speaking the equestrian athletes are often significantly older than your average yes. at mm-hmm. the olympics right. whereas, yeah yeah the horse is doing all the work so uh yeah. so you Straight up. You, know, you get sort of you know people in their 40s people in their 50s so invariably oh. it's genesis or phil collins they choose, which makes it great. It's why Amazing. I love covering it. Okay, because you get like tonight, tonight, tonight. There's a horse just like clopping along. To it. <laughs> like, yes, this is the sport for now, me. Yeah. For the official, for the official stuff, they have their they have their music that they choose. They have like in figure skating where they have an exhibition round where they get to choose like out of the box music. So like you get a horse dancing to I don't know. Uh, up in here by DMX. I mean, oh, they, hey. they do yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, not at the Olympics. There is no exhibition at the Olympics, same as there isn't in figure skating at the Olympics. But, yes, there is. Mm. But it's not counted towards any No, that's score. what I'm saying. That's why it's called, it's I believe it's called an exhibition. Yeah. So mm. it's it's like, it's not part of the medal. But it's like, you know, no, not part of the medal. Yeah. But do they have like an exhibition where like no, it's just don't. a, uh, what, would, oh. what would you call it? Not it's an exhibition, but like it's too much risk. display of, of, you know, where they just get to blow out the tanks and do something awesome. No, they do. No, no, they no, do no. that at other events, but there is not one at the Olympics. Very no, because nice. the horses, you know, especially Tokyo Heat. Yeah, nobody wants to. No, fair enough. Fair enough. That sounds like uh, a record game. number of uh, COVID cases for Tokyo in the last day. On uh... reasonably expected, though. I mean, if you're going to bring like tens of thousands more people into Tokyo, there's a reasonable chance there might be a record number of COVID cases. How many? Yeah, how many in the village? Is like 150 or something like this. Is that is that? Is I that, don't know. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Not enough to worry happen. anybody. It's not a big news. Story. <laughs> not enough to worry anybody. <laughs> it's genuinely it's not ca- a big news. Most story. cases in a day. Genuinely not a big news story in Japan. Mm, the way because it the been. IOC doesn't want it to be. That's They're right. They're the IOC. Up. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the world's story. media big buddies with the IOC. All <laughs> 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 uh, right. Well, let's talk about your dog. Now that the oh. Olympics are over, what Kona? Um, well, Kona. Got out the other night, and, and Sarah Price put up a uh, a post oh, on I didn't Lost see that. and Found. It was taken down minutes later, but oh. uh, I, uh, I, I I reached I, out I, a couple I, hours you're later. You're telling the story. Okay. Well, I just I was just saying I reached out a couple hours later just to make sure that Kona was okay. Injecting and, yourself into story. Oh, right. Good Lord. Just take the show. God. <laughs> Go. What happened, Ollie? Jeez. Well, um, left the dog in the care of Sarah Price, Megan mm-hmm. Brackenbury. Yes. Katrina, the intern. And friends, 
Uh, that, that's a big group. That's too many cooks. Big, big group. Dog quite kitchen. a lot of cooks for the mm-hmm. dog broth. Uh, and the idea being, like, get a socialized with Penny a little bit. Right. Get the hang. I hear they don't get along. They, like, 80% of the time get along. 20% of the time they try to kill each other. 80% of the time is great. Generally speaking, yeah. if there is mutual seeking of attention of the same human, right? that's when it starts to go. And Penny and Kona don't necessarily get on. I think it's more of a Kona issue than a Penny issue. Mm. Uh, Kona's not massively thrilled if like she's trying to like get some attention out of Louisa, for example, or me, or Brack, or anyone. Right. And so we got to work on that. So we got to yeah. get them together, get them to hang out. So I was like, okay, drop Kona off with them. Uh, went for an evening meal with some friends, which was lovely. Yeah. About an hour into the meal, got a phone call from Sarah Price, which Uh-oh. I looked at it and thought, well, that's probably about work, and ignored it. Uh, and then <laughs> five minutes later, I thought to myself, ah, hang on a minute, this is probably more of a dog phone call than a work phone call. And sure enough, there was a Facebook message that said, your dog's gone for a walk. Uh, we don't know where. Uh, so uh-huh. somebody left the gate open at the house. Kona went out with Sarah while Sarah was just going to grab some stuff out of the garden. And Kona, we think, just like saw the open gate and peaced out. And so the search party was formed. Uh, they started going up and down and all around the, the locality and everything. And yeah, I eventually phoned back and said to my friends hosting a dinner, like, can you mind if I just uh, step out for a little <laughs> while here? Just have something to attend to. And... So two things subsequently happened. Number one, Kona was found relatively quickly in like five minutes uh, okay. outside cabin radio. Oh. Uh, just hanging out, eating treats from a stranger. Not AJ. Not AJ. No. no. I, mean, I, I've, I mean, if AJ had been on both crutches, we know that Kona can't handle that. That'd no. be the last thing we needed would, would be AJ with crutches on. Because he's on one crutch now and Kona can do one crutch. If Kona, if Kona comes across AJ and AJ only has one crutch, Kona's fine. Yeah. Two crutches, no, can't handle it. But yeah, so eating snacks uh, out, out of the hands of a stranger outside the doors of cabin radio. So they grabbed her and got her back and all was fine. However, the following day, I heard from more people a slightly expanded story of this. Oh, no. And it was less like the way that, the way that it, it transpired on Friday night. You could be forgiven for thinking that Kona was found like, you know, enjoying a cigarette and a paperback. Waiting wow. patiently to be collected outside the front door of cabin radio. Kona went on air, cracked the mic, and just started swearing up a storm. She it was rough. She ah. tried. Ah. Ah. All right, all right, all right. Continue your story. Anyway, God, <laughs> welcome back. Uh, so, so it turns out that she, rather than just hanging out by cabin radio, she was near cabin radio, but she was more precisely in the middle of Franklin. Barking at passing traffic, trying to eat things oh in the road. Oh, no. uh, so, uh, so what had initially sounded like a very, very smart young dog deciding yeah. to go and like hang out by the office and await owner. Yeah, because uh, there's still a bit of that separation anxiety going on. So yeah, she yeah. definitely like I understand like she booked it out of the garden and decided to try and find me and decided cabin radio was a good bet. Right. But yeah, it rather than just hanging out and waiting for collection, she was in actual fact. Causing a massive traffic obstacle in the middle of Yellow Lights' busiest street. Yeesh. Went downtown, acted yeah. like complete idiot. Yeah, went basically went straight down the center line of Franklin all the way to Cabin Radio, barked at everything, tried to eat things in the middle of the street, and was eventually tempted to one side of the road by a man with Doritos. Oh, Kona. Yeah. Kona, yeah. Kona, Kona. Kona is not great on spatial awareness, uh. as we know at the best of times. Everyone in the office has seen her clock her head into the side of a doorframe. Yeah. 
She thought she was on the sidewalk. No, she was yeah, in the middle of she, the street. She probably had no idea, and was just because she does not get. I mean, the now that I look back at this, the opening weekend that I got her, I took her to Samba Day, right? And we just like hung out at Samba Day, and we yes. saw some pretty like we were on some pretty steep cliffs. Yeah, some like 300, 400 foot cliffs that you can get to near there, like Wallace Creek, places like that. Right. I now think, knowing what I know, that dog would have been leashed for that trip. Uh, if I had my time again, like we got through that and that was fine, but that dog was not on a leash for that trip. And I now start to realize that that was probably a lucky escape. Oh, Kona. Yeah, she's, um, she's just a little sick. <laughs> yeah. But you she's know what? Silly she girl. survived. She survived. Yeah. She's all good. She's great. Yeah. She's back in my care. We'll Did never give it to Sarah and Megan get hit by again. A truck. <laughs> like they're scratched off my list. So the yeah, rotation of dog sitters here at Cabin Radio continues to narrow. Uh, yeah. as AJ will never be allowed to look after Penny again. And nope. now Sarah, uh Katrina. Who else is part of this team? Megan. Megan. Yep. Will never be allowed no. to look after Kona again. Barred from looking after Kona. Okay. And and so yeah, basically uh Jesse, if you if you like Penny and Kona for a month. No. <laughs> no. Not a, not a chance in hell. Um well, I that 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 definitely. Uh, I mean, I thought it was so adorable when you told me that story that she just like sat outside the door. I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's great. We'll yeah. talk about that." Blah blah blah. Yeah, it sounded great, uh, but, didn't you it? You know, stopping in the middle of the, of the street yeah. and barking at cars. Kona, we wish you the best. Uh, and, and best of luck to all the Olympians out there. The mornings at the cabin podcast. Mornings at the cabin. Brought to you by Aurora Ford. Driving the north. Meet on after with you on your Tuesday morning. It's nine point eight degrees on July twenty seventh. There we go. Um. Just put it out there. It's going to be a little cloudy, a little sunny today. High of, what was it, 22? Are, are you consulting Norway? I'm calling Nor- consulting Norway. A high of, oh, God, 13. <laughs> it's way off. It's like a high of 60. I have 15 like standing right 15. here with 0.1 millimeters of rain. All right. I uh, got a little post up there at, uh, at uh, the Mornings at the Cabin Facebook page. You can check it out. Now we've mentioned this before that Katrina Koenig, our um, one of our interns, our only our only uh, living intern, um, <laughs> the only one we have left, uh, McKenna Hadley Burke has gone elsewhere. Now she's back in Vancouver, but uh, Katrina Koenig uh, remains for a couple more weeks. And uh, she mentioned the other night when we were hanging out at AJ's place uh, for uh, McKenna Hadley Burke's. I have to say her whole name every time. Yeah, uh, her, I understand her, her departure. Yeah, and she was like, I was like. Listening to a part of the conversation, kind of overhearing, not really overhearing them, kind of seeing them out of the corner of my eye, and they were kind of talking to each other and looking at me and then talking to each other. And I kind of looked over. I was like, what's up? And Katrina's like, do you look like me? And was convinced, thoroughly convinced that we looked very much alike. Um, I, I was, I, you know, tried to be polite and I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, Katrina, maybe. <laughs> Have either of us ever really seen ourselves? <laughs> Is so, this an existential Are we thing? having an Is existential quandary right now? Katrina, did you drop a tab of acid before you came to Hanshan's place? <laughs> Be honest. <laughs> when you look at people, are you looking? do you think you're looking in a mirror? Um, <laughs> very like, you know, obviously I, I can't imagine how much you would actually talked to katrina before before then because you know you're not a little bit like we've not, said hi and, yeah. and you know all generally that. she arrives though, that's like right. after you're that's already true. gone so. and if she is listening we do want to have her on the show and i heard that she wants to be on the show so she just has to show up before 8 30 gotta show up gotta yeah. show up just gotta get here come work for free for a little bit that's right that's it i mean hey some of us do we do it every day um yeah so 
but it's, it's such a an interesting. It's a very interesting thing to say. Like icebreaker. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you know, like, and uh, I think she was trying to flatter me because I was just like, it's like, oh, I mean, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she and and then by the end of it though, she was just like, "Do I not know what I look like?" And I was like, "You've got a whole thing to deal with over there." Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're not anyway, into that. But we wanted to take a picture side by side. So, Lecter, you took a picture a couple days ago, and yeah. we, we've now put it up on the Mornings of the Cabin Facebook page, and it's uh, uh, it says it, it, as follows. Remember those old spot the differences puzzles? <laughs> well, we've got one, our own, our own cabin radio version. In, intern Katrina thinks that her and Wheeler look exactly alike. Do they? Can you spot the difference? Is our new intern completely insane? Um, I look like post malone's photo double a little bit <laughs> or something like you just took the the stick yeah. on tattoos off your face pretty much and, pretty much i look yeah. like yeah post malone's unemployed brother um <laughs> to be fair post malone looks unemployed um yeah yeah nothing wrong with being unemployed by the way no I'm just that's that's just for the joke i guess we could say something different i look like post malone if he were just a regular dude <laughs> not you, you, vastly rich you look like past it malone oh <laughs> i look yeah that's right yeah yeah like way past it way past it malone uh so go to he's, he's go, realized that he's not a kid anymore yeah. i gotta get a real job i gotta get these tattoos removed from my face and that's unfortunately well here i am okay that's... can you see it though can i see it can you see it you know when you first said it right like, i knew full well what katrina looked like yeah and when you first told me that story last week uh it sounded like, insane yeah she i think i think she's there's something going on there <laughs> she's losing you her grip on reality to, yeah um yeah troubling yeah was troubling. my first thought <laughs> i was troubled but then i took these pictures yeah and then i i started flipping back and forth yeah on my phone yeah and i was like you know what there's a little bit there she's not She's not completely insane. We both squint a little bit when we smile. Um, Eyes, like definitely. Yeah, I think uh, like around the around the mouth, like the lips and the teeth, kind of. We don't have the same nose at all, but we've got similar cheek structure, I guess. Like when we smile a little bit, but like a not like the the nose, uh, yeah. the the the, uh, the uh, what's the word you call it? Like, ears? Not the incline, but like the angle. <laughs> Yeah, no, hers, yeah, she's it's, got a little bit similar. of an upturn. I've got, a, like, a little bit of a downturn. I've got a wider bridge on my nose, I think. I mean, she's, she's, we have a very different skin complexion. Um, uh, if, if you she's didn't, got freckles. If you didn't have the mustache, I would right? say, like, maybe, like, similar. Well, you're the Photoshop mouth, expert. Take that, that mustache off. Well, I can't just reveal what's, what's not. What's underneath. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a Photoshop. I don't want to reveal works, that. Jesse. That's right. So uh, go to the Mornings of the Cabin Facebook page and you decide. You be the judge and spot the differences in the photos and send them back to us. Just circle all the differences you can find. I could see you being siblings, honestly. Okay. If someone showed me that, I'd be like, yeah, I could see other brother see that. and sister. I could see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe like same mother, but different dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all in good fun. Um, but uh, two uh, two very good looking people up on the mornings of the cabin Facebook I mean, page. That that, that is can, not uh, up for debate. We cannot question. That. <laughs> yeah. So go to the Facebook page now. Uh, circle the differences. Spot the differences if you can. And has anybody ever asked you if you look like them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Katrina, we'll get you on this show eventually. All right, let's uh, let's finish it up. That's going to do it for mornings at the cabin for uh, this uh, Tuesday morning. Tune in tomorrow. 
very special Wednesday edition of the PCPTP party. Oh, that's right. His eyes just went wide. I already set this. I was going to make it a surprise, but I will not. What? Wednesday edition of the PCPTP party because I am leaving town on Thursday. Oh, I see. And I hate to miss that ah. PCPTP ah. party. So I uh, messaged Emily. I said, let's do it on Wednesday. And she said, sure. <laughs> so there you go. All right. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. Have yourselves a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Check out more from the show at cabinradio.ca and by following the Mornings at the Cabin Facebook page. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Almost a decade ago, I was recognized as being one of the top 40 business school professors under 40. It's an annual award where you're nominated by students, then vetted by the organization giving the award, and ta-da, the list appears. I was so touched and honored to be recognized alongside colleagues I respected and admired. It felt really good. It was in my early years of being a professor, so this accolade made it feel like all the hard work had paid off. But then I got a call from my school's PR saying that I had been removed from the list. At the time, students could post comments on the recognition site, and a couple of students posted some, let's say, not-so-flattering things about me. And the organization decided I no longer deserved the recognition. I was livid. I mean, utterly upset, heartbroken, and to this day, the thought of it brings tears to my eyes. And I'm telling you about this experience to point out how powerful negativity online can be, even when it may just be a couple of angry people saying unverified things. And I am by no means a perfect professor, but I think it's messed up that for people who have some type of public profile, just doing our jobs makes us vulnerable to online trolls, naysayers, critics, whatever you want to call them. But what are you supposed to do when this happens to you? I couldn't write something nasty back without seeming totally unprofessional. And yes, my university and I fought it, but ultimately we lost the battle. Well, today's speaker talks about one very unique response we could have to online critics that I think we can all learn from. This is Ted Business, and I'm Madhupa Akinola. Today, we're going to hear from Dylan Marin, who made a name for himself posting videos online that satirize social injustices. His work stirred up a lot of online hate. In fact, he now hosts a podcast called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. He's working on a book right now about fostering radical empathy on the internet and having difficult conversations with people who say hurtful things. After the talk, I'll share additional thoughts on how to deal with hurtful comments. But first, a quick break. If you like TED Business, check out Now What's Next, a podcast from Morgan Stanley, the sponsor of today's episode. Hosted by Sonari Glinton, Now What's Next helps make sense of life during and after the pandemic. Glinton meets with people who are looking for solutions to the cracks exposed by the pandemic. And with his decades of experience reporting on culture and the economy, he definitely shares some interesting stories from his guests. 
To learn more, subscribe to Now What's Next wherever you get your podcasts. No matter who they are or what they do, companies want to give their employees all the support they need and deserve. Our sponsor, UKG, has HR and workforce management solutions that can give you the tools you'll need to help make your people, all of your people, feel like they belong. UKG, the cross-category leader in HR solutions. Visit UKG.com to learn more. I've received hate online, a lot of it, and it comes with the territory of my work. I'm a digital creator. I make things specifically for the internet. Like a few years ago, I made a video series called Every Single Word, where I edited down popular films to only the words spoken by people of color as a way to empirically and accessibly talk about the issue of representation in Hollywood. Then, later, as transphobic bathroom bills started gaining media attention around the United States, I hosted and produced an interview series called Sitting in Bathrooms with Trans People, where I did exactly that. And then, are you familiar with those unboxing videos on YouTube where YouTubers open up the latest electronic gadgets? Great. So I satirized those in a weekly series where instead I unboxed intangible ideologies like police brutality, masculinity, and the mistreatment of Native Americans. Um, my work. Thanks. <laughs> One person applauding. God bless. Um, <laughs> Mom, hi. Um, so my work became very popular. I got millions of views, a ton of great press, and a slew of new followers. But the flip side of success on the internet is internet hate. I was called everything, from beta to snowflake, and of course the ever popular cuck. Don't worry, I will break these terms down for you. <laughs> um, so beta, for those of you unfamiliar, is shorthand online lingo for beta male. But let's be real, I wear pearl earrings and my fashion aesthetic is rich white woman running errands, so I'm not angling to be an alpha. <laughs> Doesn't totally work. Um, now, Snowflake is a put-down for people who are sensitive and believe themselves to be unique, and I'm a millennial and an only child, so duh. <laughs> But my favorite, favorite, favorite is cuck. It's a slur, short for cuckold, for men who have been cheated on by their wives. But friends, I am so gay that if I had a wife, I would encourage her to cheat on me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's take a look at some of this negativity in action. Um, sometimes it's direct, like Marcos, who wrote, "You're everything I hate in a human being." Thank you, Marcos. Others write to me with questions, like Brian, who asked, "Were you born a bitch, or did you just learn to be one over time?" But my favorite thing about this is that once Brian was done typing, his finger must have slipped because then he sent me <laughs> the thumbs up emoji. <laughs> so, babe, thumbs up to you too. Um, <laughs> uh, it's fun to talk about these messages now, right? And it's cathartic to laugh at them. But I can tell you that it really does not feel good to receive them. 
at first, I would screenshot their comments and make fun of their typos, but this soon felt elitist and ultimately unhelpful. So over time, I developed an unexpected coping mechanism. Because most of these messages I received were through social media, I could often click on the profile picture of the person who sent them and learn everything about them. I could see pictures they were tagged in, posts they'd written, memes they'd shared, and somehow seeing that it was a human on the other side of the screen made me feel a little better. Not to justify what they wrote, right? But just to provide context. Still, that didn't feel like enough. So I called some of them, only the ones I felt safe talking to, with a simple opening question. Why did you write that? The first person I spoke to was Josh. He had written to tell me that I was a moron, I was a reason this country was dividing itself, and he added at the end that being gay was a sin. I was so nervous for our first conversation. This wasn't a comment section, so I couldn't use tools like muting or blocking. Of course, I guess, um, I could have hung up on him, but I didn't want to because I liked talking to him, because I liked him. Here's a clip of one of our conversations. Josh, you said that you're about to graduate high school, right? Mm-hmm. How is high school for you? Am I allowed to use the H-E double hockey stick word? Oh, yeah, you're allowed to. It was hell. <laughs> really? And it's still hell right now, even though it's only two weeks left. I'm a little bit bigger. I don't like to use the word fat, but I am a little bit bigger than a lot of my classmates, and they seem to judge me before they even got to know me. That's awful. I mean, I also just want to let you know, Josh, I was bullied in high school, too. So did our common ground of being bullied in high school erase what he wrote me? No. And did our single phone conversation radically heal a politically divided country and cure systemic injustice? No, absolutely not, right? But did our conversation humanize us to each other more than profile pictures and posts ever could? Absolutely. I didn't stop there because some of the hate I received was from my side. So when Matthew, a queer, liberal artist like me, publicly wrote that I represented some of the worst aspects of liberalism, I wanted to ask him this. You tagged me in this post. Did you want me to see it? I honestly didn't think that you would. Have you ever been publicly dragged? I have been. And I just said, no, I don't care. And did you not care? But it care? was hard. Did you not care? Um, oh, well, I cared, yes. At the end of these conversations, there's often a moment of reflection, a reconsideration. And that's exactly what happened at the end of my call with a guy named Doug, who had written that I was a talentless propaganda hack. Did the conversation we just had, does it like make you feel differently about how you write online? Yeah. You know, when I, when I said this to you, when I said you were a talentless hack, I had never conversed with you in my life, really. Yeah. I didn't really know anything really about you. And I think that a lot of times that's what the comment sections really are. It's really a way to get your anger at the world out on random profiles of strangers, pretty much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. right. But it definitely has made me rethink the way that I interact with people online. 
So I've collected these conversations and many others for my podcast, Conversations with People Who Hate Me. <laughs> Before I started this project, I thought that the real way to bring about change was to shut down opposing viewpoints through epically worded video essays and comments and posts, but I soon learned those were only cheered on by the people who already agreed with me. Sometimes the most subversive thing you could do was to actually speak with the people you disagreed with and not simply at them. Now, in every one of my calls, I always ask my guests to tell me about themselves. And it's their answer to this question that allows me to empathize with them. And empathy, it turns out, is a key ingredient in getting these conversations off the ground, but it can feel very vulnerable to be empathizing with someone you profoundly disagree with. So I established a helpful mantra for myself. Empathy is not endorsement. Empathizing with someone you profoundly disagree with does not suddenly compromise your own deeply held beliefs and endorse theirs. Empathizing with someone who, for example, believes that being gay is a sin doesn't mean that I'm suddenly going to drop everything, pack my bags, and grab my one-way ticket to hell, right? It just means that I'm acknowledging the humanity of someone who was raised to think very differently from me. I also want to be super clear about something. This is not a prescription for activism, right? I understand that some people don't feel safe talking to their detractors, and others feel so marginalized that they justifiably don't feel that they have any empathy to give. I totally get that. This is just what I feel well-suited to do. You know, I've reached out to a lot of people, and some have politely declined, others have read my message and ignored it, some have blocked me automatically when I sent the invitation, and one guy actually agreed to do it, and then five minutes into the call, hung up on me. I'm also aware that this talk will appear on the internet. And with the internet comes comment sections, and with comment sections, inevitably, comes hate. So as you are watching this talk, you can feel free to call me whatever you'd like, You can call me a snowflake, a cuck, a beta, or everything wrong with liberalism. But just know that if you do, I may ask you to talk. And if you refuse or block me automatically or agree and hang up on me, then maybe, babe, the snowflake is you. Thank you so much. You know what really stood out to me about this talk and connects with that 40 under 40 situation? The point one of Dylan's detractors brought up, and I quote, comment sections are a way to get your anger out at the world. He's saying it's not personal. It wasn't about Dylan at all. It was just this person's way of blowing off steam, lashing out because he could. And this behavior isn't so different from the experience of many people at work. Remember that time when your boss blew up at you in a meeting and you looked around and wondered, is this about me? Well, sometimes it's not about you. Sometimes it's just about somebody directing their own frustrations at a person they think won't respond. And some bosses don't even get in trouble for being rude to their employees. Just like most online commenters never face any real-life consequences for anything they write. So one thing to remember when you're on the receiving end of some person's anger is that it's probably not really about you. And this doesn't mean you're powerless or that you should just brush off that sort of behavior. 
Maybe like Dylan, you can react with an invitation to have a conversation, which encourages the other person to see you as a real human, as someone who was harmed by their words. And if you're the person blowing off steam unnecessarily in meetings or trolling on websites writing nasty comments because you can, ask yourself, who is this really about? Is it about them or me? Is there a conversation I could have that would be more useful? And can I be courageous enough to initiate that conversation? That's it for today. This episode was produced by Maria Luisa Tucker, researched by Cassie Brabaugh, and fact-checked by Eliza Solomon. Our mixer is Sam Baer, and special thanks to Anna Phelan, Michelle Quint, Corey Hajim, and Colin Helms. I'm Madhupa Akinola. Talk to you again next week. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. Welcome to Titan HST's Business Continuity Today, hosted by Todd DeVoe, where planning meets reality. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you are in this great land. And I'm Todd DeVoe. And I've been involved responding to emergencies and disasters since 1989. In 1999, while well, I started my journey to in the field of emergency management while I was working in EMS in one of the nation's most active counties, and I started off in logistics of all places. And since then, I've become an educator, teaching at the post-secondary level, learning, sharing, and I love to share what I've learned. And welcome to Business Continuity. Today, we will continue to learn together. Today, we're talking about crisis management and what it really means. And you know, I, I like I said, I read a lot and I figure some stuff out. And hang on one second, I gotta leave. And in this month's uh, crisis response journal, uh, there's a great article in there by Thomas uh, Lanthier. I'm gonna say his name wrong. I'm sorry, Thomas, for butchering your last name. And it's discussing, um, you know, what it is to manage a crisis. And his argument is, is, is managing a crisis really just managing people? And Going through his article, it really does make a lot of sense of what he's saying, right? Because if we think about how we went with the COVID-19, um, it wasn't just managing buildings, fires, things like this that we, you know, we think about when we talk about crisis in general. It's really managing people's expectations of safety and people's expectations of, of, of what it is to go to work, you know, changing the, the work a landscape, you know, with, well, like we're doing today with remote work. Um, type stuff, uh, the technology that's there uh, uh, for that type of remote work, you know, and then and uh, what's the psychological and emotional tasks that these crises uh, play on people as well. And even with your physical uh, disasters, right, you know, fires and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes, right, there's still the emotional psychological um, aspect that we have to think about when we're looking at managing crisis. Um, you know, 
over the years when someone has made a living responding and and uh, coordinating emergency events for small and large, I've been working under the assumption that we've been doing is actively addressing the issues, right? Actively addressing the cause of that disaster. And somehow people become, I don't know, like a, almost like a secondary um secondary thought right and yes i understand that we're addressing life safety issues and that's that's very important right we know that but i don't know i mean maybe you've just been doing this too long to where people themselves um become just a cog of of that uh, of that response and it's that i i can tell you that through my experience we've seen this across the land right we look at say a, a wildland fire here in california and obviously stopping the fire is the most important thing to do because that's going to save people's homes and people's lives. Um, but when we say we're going to evacuate a community uh, due to the fire, um, it's, it's, Hey, we're moving people out regardless of what's going on. Um, you know, we're knocking our doors, telling them to leave. And when they get out of the fire area, it's almost like, Hey, it's not our problem anymore. Um, and so are people not the reason for the plan? You know, tell me if I'm wrong, right? If you think I'm wrong, if you don't think that people are the reason for the plan, explain why and, and what that really means. So crisis management, you know, is really the ability for tactics that are required to handle unexpected and threatening events, right? And while, def- while definitions differ across the board, the idea is similar, right? The situation occurs, it presents a threat, and it needs to be managed. So Thomas, in his piece, Crisis Management is People Management, he says, I've worked to get, I worked with outspoken leaders, managers, stakeholders, friends, and colleagues about their experiences during COVID-19 as a crisis, as crisis management became personal and moved into the homes as much as it played on the global scale. One single common denominator stood out. Crisis management is about people above anything else. And I have to agree with him there. All right. So Thomas continues to argues that we not only have a problem with what our focus is when it comes to managing a crisis, but we all have a problem with the nomenclature of our profession. So it contributes the language to the problem of interpreting the words that we use and how we see the world and our job. So I want to take this a step further. On LinkedIn, Kyle King asked the question about the name of emergency management position. Is it right for the job? And I don't know, right? Do we manage emergencies only? You know, and then it became this conversation that got deeper into where does emergency management belong in the chain of things? And with people coming from risk management, says that emergency management should fall underneath risk management. Chew on that for a minute, because, you know, when we start talking about the nomenclature of what we do as emergency managers, it does make a difference on where we sit at the table, Right. You know, so I'm not, in a, I'm not in a favor of name change, actually. You know, as I stated in the post and in the conversation I had with Kyle King and the group of people that were kind of bantering back and forth on LinkedIn, I, I said, you know, what is the name of the firefighter? Should we change the name of firefighters? Because due to building codes and whatnot, you know, fire departments, city fire departments specifically, run more EMS calls than they do, arguably, than they do running fire calls, right, where they're actually putting, pulling hoses out and putting fires out. So now is it more of an EMS department than a fire department? Should it be called EMS department that happens to fight fires? No, of course not. We're not going to change that. I could change the nomenclature of the history or the, or the culture of that. Still a fire department that happens to run EMS calls. 
I don't see the wholesale change of other jobs in the public sector, safety sector either, right? And then this in the idea of the name debate. The question is what is the core function of emergency management? Some are arguing that EM should, you know, do other things such as, well, you know, Seattle and San Francisco, for instance, talked about putting the homeless issue underneath emergency management, which is not really necessarily an emergency in the sense of what we think of lights and sirens. So what do we do? We manage people. I think at the end of the day, that's, I think, I think Thomas is absolutely right. You know, risk, if you take a look at, you know, the safety professionals in general, right? Risk management under the OSHA, right, is a formal practice of identifying hazards, evaluating analysis risks associated with those hazards, and taking action to eliminate the hazard or control the risk that can't be eliminated to minimize the injury and potential illness. Risk management is a critical step in any organization's effort to proactively mitigate risk before an injury or, or catastrophic, uh, sorry, I can't even read, catastrophe occurs. So risk management in general, yeah, I, I, I can see them saying it's a hazard function, right, forward-looking, mitigating those hazards. You see a slip and fall issue, you make sure it's fixed. I think emergency management goes back down and crisis management goes back down to people. It goes back down to being there when the crisis occurs and what happens afterwards, you know, and making sure that humans impacted by this disaster can be made whole or at least tried to be made whole. Right. We talked about the idea of resiliency and antifragility. And I think emergency management actually pushes that idea forward. You know, if you think about Daniel Ulrich's book, Black Wave, the government of Japan was not managing the cause of the disaster. They weren't managing the earthquake. They weren't managing the effects of the disaster, the tsunami, the outcome of the Fukushima nuclear reactor meltdown. They were managing people, putting people in safe places. Now, you could argue that they did a poor job in some areas, right? But the, the idea here is that they had to repay to place people into shelters and, and make sure that they were able to get food and water and, and care, right? We take a look at the economic impacts of things. We, we value those, right? $235 billion in losses, 125,000 homes destroyed, 270 railroad lines gone, 4,000, sorry, 40,000 people that cannot return back to home, and then, of course, 18,000 lives lost. When we stress the impact of disasters on the millions of people in Japan, how it influenced millions of people worldwide and, and how we look at the built environment still today, that's what we're looking at, right? We're looking at the built environment and how these disasters really impact it. Why do we look at the built environment? Because it impacts people. There's a, there's a, 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 a school of thought out there that there's no such thing as natural disasters. They're just natural hazards, and disasters don't come into play until it impacts humans. Now, there's some flaws in the thinking, but I, I think I understand where they're coming from for that, right? Because we can't impact this, the, the, the disaster up to millions of people in Japan, right, without saying it's millions of people in Japan. The, the $235 billion in losses and economic loss. Can it be recovered through insurance and through other things? Possibly. Right? But we measure these things in billions of dollars and millions of dollars, but and sometimes lives lost, but we don't measure these things in the impact of how human beings, what the long-term effect is. Take a look at New Orleans, the Lower Ninth Ward. 
right? Is it as it recovered? I, I I'm, I'm going to tell you it's not right. When a city loses 50% of its population um, for a period of time and only 20 of that per 25%, I think it was that came back it might be a little higher now. All right. I haven't seen a, a new study on it. Right. But still, right. The economic and personal impact from that disaster, from that hurricane on one city, specifically New Orleans, right. It is, it's measurable. Now you have people that are that used to live in New Orleans that are spread across the country, right? Because they don't want to go back for various different reasons, right? We lose people for earthquakes and wildfires and things like this, you know, the impact of the disasters across in California and the the western United States and hurricanes and tornadoes and and whatnot also impact that. So I'm not just picking on on New Orleans, right? I'm just saying this is just something that was studied. And the influence of the disaster and, and impacting humans, right, is is out there. It's palpable. The other side of it, too, is communication. How do we communicate these things? What words do we use when we talk about the nomenclature of our, of our, of our profession? How do, we, how do we communicate with the people about the disasters that are happening or, or, or the recovery aspect of things and going back to normal, right? We all talk about going back to normal and what does that mean? During a crisis, it's leadership. Leadership is needed. You have to be at the tip of the spear. You have to be leaning forward. You cannot be behind the spear pushing it forward. And this is when each member of the organization has to have a deep understanding of the why of your organization. What are the core tenets that you have? What direction are you all going? If all the people are moving that direction, maybe it's not just the physical plant of the office building. Maybe we talk about the, the, the idea again of the organization, because now you're spread across through like say COVID where people working remotely is the organization still moving forward. Can argue that it is. It's the people that are moving the organization forward, not the physical location. Over the last year plus we've learned that we can work from home and remote places. We, we do not need that office building to make things happen. However, we do need leadership. We do need the people. We do need the human impact on making sure that things are going forward. Well, everybody, thank you so much for uh, visiting with us today and spending your time. Um, visit Titan HST for all your communication needs. Remember to follow us on your favorite podcast player, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. And oh, if you follow us on your favorite or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player, Please don't forget to give us a rating and upload that five stars and share this with your friends, family, and anybody else who's interested in business continuity. Until next week, stay safe and stay hydrated. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Oh, hey, hey, hey. This is the Moms and Ministry podcast. Uh, I'm Amanda, and this is episode three. 
I'm so, so excited to have Brooke on here, just sharing her life, sharing uh, her time, because that is so precious. Uh, I'm, I'm so honored. I'm so humbled. I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful. And uh, this is going to be an amazing episode. I can just feel it in my bones. Uh, so if you're listening, thanks for jumping on. Uh, Brooke, if you want to get us started, just share a little bit about you and and let's just do it. <laughs> yeah. So my name is Brooke Greiner. Um, I am co-owner with my husband of Living in the Light Company, which we, I guess, officially started in 2020, which is wild. Um, but this has been just a seed that was planted um, back in 2016 um, when I was working night shifts as a nurse and just really felt like do I really love what I'm doing <laughs> or am I just doing it? Uh, which is, you know, a big epiphany coming from somebody who had literally just graduated nursing school and who had spent all this money. And then you hate your job and you're like, Oh gosh, <laughs> what happens from here? <laughs> um, but it was just something that I, for whatever reason was very passionate about, um, which was just, starting to kind of put myself out there on the internet and do tutorials and just things that I really enjoyed doing. Um, and for whatever reason, God decided to bless that. And here we are now. Um, so we are, um, I guess I should give some backstory before I kind of say what we are. So me and Amanda just had this big long conversation about how I, <laughs> <laughs> Me and my husband have really taken our business and like shifted completely to another direction. So um, initially my brand started out as a beauty brand. I was doing hair tutorials, makeup tutorials, um, which was all great and good. And I was, you know, always doing my best to be wholesome and to really, you know, put God first in a sense in what I was doing in that I was... I felt like I was representing what a Christian woman should look like on the internet. But then a couple of years later, um, this was actually like a very recent thing that has happened probably in the past year. I really felt convicted about what I was doing and it wasn't because what I was doing was bad or that I was like, you know, doing something that you know, God wouldn't approve of. I just really took a step back at, at what I was doing. And I was like, you know, am I representing the gospel vocally? Am I, do people know what I stand for? Do people walk away from my page with glimpses of who God is, or are they walking away from my page with just like knowing how to like curl their hair, which is like, you know, again, it's all good. But I was, you know, telling Amanda, like, where was the eternal value in what I was doing was there eternal value in what I was doing and I actually was receiving messages from people whenever I would you know occasionally talk about the Lord in my testimony and like what he's done in my life I would get messages saying like oh I didn't know you were a Christian or you know why are you bringing like your religion into beauty like it just doesn't fit in there and I instead of like being angry at those messages, which they definitely like, it's like somebody like smacks you in the face when you get messages like that. And I just like looked at myself and I was like, you know what? I think there might be some truth, even though the messages weren't very kind. 
I think there might be some truth in what they're saying and, and what, you know, they are perceiving. Cause obviously they're not perceiving what I thought they were. I, I thought that it was obvious that I was a Christian. I thought that it was obvious where I stand and my values, my morals, but I guess it's not like if this, if people are, are responding like this, it must not be true. And so, gosh, it's July. Holy smokes. I guess back in like the beginning of fall of last year, I would say is when I really just started feeling heavy conviction about what I was adding to the kingdom, which was essentially nothing. I don't think I, I, if I really was being honest with myself, it really was next to nothing. Um, I would, you know, occasionally talk about it, but I wasn't adding eternal value into the lives of the people that followed me. And that, that is wrong. It's not okay. (laughs) And so we, over the past couple of months, um, we've really just completely shifted our business. I'm still doing some beauty. Um, but we have really just taken a turn and created, uh, what we hope to be a big Christian network, uh, where we can, pay people, Christian creators to come on and create their content that is scripturally based. That's wholesome. That's something that you want your family to be a part of, um, as Christians. And so we started this subscription program and, uh, we started a podcast and we, uh, have a Christian clothing line and, and all these things that are, um, hopefully to the best of our ability, kingdom-based and, scripturally sound and, um, hopefully spreading the gospel to people who either don't really understand it completely or who don't know it at all. And so that's kind of where we're at right now with our journey. And I was telling her, um, before we got on here, it has definitely not been without persecution and um, (laughs) financial loss, which it's okay. Like it's God provides and has provided in crazy ways. And I was telling Amanda, like me and Nick grew up poor. (laughs) This is, we're going to be okay. (laughs) Everything's going to be fine. But I, I fully believe that when you're doing your best to serve Jesus and to live for Christ, um, in everything that you do, including your business, God will bless it. And it might not be the way that you think it should be. It might not be a necessary, like it might not be as much money as we were making before in beauty, but he's going to provide. And I'm really excited to see what kind of what happens. And I have gotten connected with so many people like Amanda, um, who just really are like-minded and believe in the same things. And that has been really special. And I think that hasn't even started happening until like this past two months, which has been just such a blessing. So I'm excited to be on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I, I feel you in that. And, um, I'm so grateful, you know, that you guys have, I, I want to say you were brave enough to make that because I don't honestly, like just real talk. I don't know that I would be able to boldly make that choice. You know, if it came down to it, I would hope that I would, because I love Jesus, Jesus above everything else. But, you know, that's a big, big decision to make. And, you know, I used to, I used to see, I still see, you know, your sponsored ads and, um, 
you know, I, I remember seeing you for the first time with your long curly hair and I'm like, my hair's curly and I can't get it to look like that. Like, oh, I have to see this. And it's funny because I actually started following you because I won, um, I won uh, a drawing or a contest or a giveaway. And um, I don't even know that it was like based on like Christian, Christian, anything. It was just a shirt, a t-shirt that said empowered women, empower women. Oh and yeah. <laughs> for a company that empowered was in the name. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to enter this. I never win anything. And I won. And I've been following you ever since. I feel like that was like two years ago. That's so and crazy. So, <laughs> so I loved following you. I watched your content and I knew that there was something different about you. I don't know that I ever sat down and was like, is she a Christian? Is she not? I feel like I just was happy to not see, I mean, let's be real, skin and cleavage and, you know, and obviously uh, like I'm not, I'm not, you know, bashing people who do show that, but that is not me. I've never been, I've never been a short skirt wearer. I just can't, I always feel like this is my temple and, you know, as you should, as you should, right, right. right. And, you know, it's, it's, I just, I got tired of seeing that. Like there were, there's local influencers that live, you know, nearby me and I've, I had followed them and it was like, I saw more and more of like, that's not me. That's not what I want. It, you know, it really came down to, I have an 11 year old son and I was sitting on my couch and I was scrolling on Instagram and he saw something that made me uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, why am I following them? If I wouldn't be okay with him following them. Right. And for me, that was a big like aha moment. Like, okay, I really want to get connected with people who are living out the gospel. Even if even if the words aren't coming out of their mouth, I, are they displaying Jesus? Because I felt like that's what you were doing. Now, I totally <laughs> understand. I, I totally get like, you know, being called out because I feel like the day and age that we live in, the climate that we live in, we have to be so intentional with every moment. Like they're watching. The lost, they're watching. The world is watching and they're seeking truth. There's there. I said it the other day and somebody was like, oh, that's good. And I'm like, I can't take credit. I didn't, I didn't make it up, but it's like, we are, we are drowning in information, but we're starving for truth. Right. And I know somebody else said that, but it's the truth of the matter. It's like every minute of every day, every time I get on social media, every time I walk out my door, every time I walk down the grocery aisle, like we're being watched and we have, we have an obligation to display Christ, to display his, his, his grace, his mercy, his love. And, you know, with, with, like you said, like the platform you have, it's just holy moly. That is, that's a lot. I don't understand where it came from. (laughs) And I want to like go back to what you said about like me being like brave and that you didn't think you can do it. I take no credit for any of it let me tell you something when God convicts you Mm. you can't shake it like when you are truly like doing your best to pursue the Lord and there are definitely moments where I'm not (laughs) and days and weeks and 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 I you know everybody struggles but when God convicts you you cannot shake it there's no shaking it when God is pushing you in a direction I don't think there's like 
a no at that point. Like that's kind of where I was at. I was like, there's no getting away from this. And I, I talked to Nick and, you know, we knew that doing what we're doing was going to come with loss and that that loss could potentially be really big. And because when you, at this point on the internet, if you say certain things, especially when it comes to like the LGBTQ community and like all of the like crazy political things that are going on right now. Um, if you say the wrong thing, mm-hmm. you are demonized. Right. And I don't really talk about political things very much just because I, I know where I stand and I don't think anybody else really like needs to or cares to know about that. But what I can't run away from is gospel truth. Um, when, when the Bible is clear on something right. like marriage between a man and a woman as being the only acceptable marriage in God's eyes, when you say things like that, you are automatically, um, de- you, you are just demonized and you're, you're deemed hateful, a bigot, it's hate speech. Like, I mean, it gets really deep, really deep and really bad. Um, And I knew that if we wanted to create a platform to where we were speaking truth and not avoiding hard topics anymore, that I could lose sponsorships with companies that really like pay me a lot of money. And I would lose, I knew I would lose a bunch of followers and that is okay. I don't want them to leave because I do want them to hear truth but I can't control any of that. And so I knew that with the change would come a lot of negative things, but I was talking to one of my best friends, Claire, the other day, and she was, she kind of said the same thing. She was like, you know, I kudos to you for like standing up and being bold. And I'm like, no, it's not, it's true. Like I don't take credit. Um, I would, when I really like stop and think about it, the persecution physically online, like words, whatever they want to do, like the worst thing they could do, like chop my head off persecution. Mm -hmm. The worst thing that could happen to me on this world is nothing compared to standing in front of God as a coward. Wow. Standing in front of him as a coward and having to look him in the face and say, I was too scared. I was a wimp. I was a coward to me. Like I, when you really stop and think about that, like that's no bravery on my account. It's just reverence (laughs) of who I know God is because of what scripture says about him. And yes, he is a loving God, but we will have to stand in judgment, every single one of us. And I do not want to stand in front of him and be labeled as a coward. (laughs) I don't. And so that is, that has, says nothing about me and everything about the Lord. And I truly just like, don't ever want to take credit for like people, you know, saying that I'm brave and like making about me. Like I truly am here to tell you (laughs) if God wants you to do something, he will make you do it. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's amazing. But I feel like so many of us I know, especially me, post having children, like it, it changes, it completely changes the game, you know, having, having your babies that depend on you. But I feel like 
I'm such a worry wart sometimes that I don't even get to that level of thinking, you know, it's stop it. Like I hit the ceiling of like, well, how am I going to take care of my babies? Like, you know, how am I going to feed them? How am I going to, you know, buy diapers and stuff like that. And so it's almost like we, we, we have to jump past that because I always, I always have to remind myself, all right, well, he made them, he loves them way more than I could ever love them. And obviously he knows the beginning from the end. So it's like really that, I mean, that's so good. That's, I mean, if, if you are listening and you take one thing away, skip the worry, skip the, in my own strength and go straight to, I'm going to see him before the father who, yes, he is loving, he is kind, but he's also the real deal, you know, and, and we are going to have to take account for what we've done, what we haven't done, what we've said, what we haven't said. And not, oh, that's so good. That is so good. Well, (laughs) I don't think it was a realization I really like wanted to have, but I had it. (laughs) God was like, sometimes people are like, you know what, God, if you want, like, if you want me to do something, I need you to give me like flashing lights. I need you to like write like the message in the sky. And I really feel like he kind of did that to me, like just without like the flashiness, he was just like, this is what you're going to do. And I'm not going to let you get away from it. And I was like, okay. That's so good. That's so good. I I ask him, I'm like, okay, Lord, if this, this, I, I need a billboard sign like none of these hints none of these little nuggets like I really hit me in the face with it I need to know that's so good but so so your company is called living in the light and yes holy moly it is I mean you can't even get past that that name without like just just being bold for Christ so how how did you come up with that how did how did you guys decide on living in the light oh no did I lose you again I'll stop oh perfect are you good I'm good I'm good (laughs) so um I actually didn't get saved so I grew up in um, kind of a messy situation which I don't think is like worth getting into because it's not the point but anyway I wasn't a Christian uh, for most of my life and um, actually went to a Christian college for whatever reason, did not want to go to a Christian college. So my mom, who was a Christian at that point, uh, was begging me to go to a Christian college because I wanted to go to the University of South Carolina. And I think she, I think my mom just really knew at that point, like, it would be a downward slope for me to go to a place like that. And so she begged, she literally called the school on my behalf and said, here is my daughter's like transcripts and stuff. Like, what can you do for her financially? Cause my parents, I knew going into college that like, I was going to have to pay for it or I was going to have to get a scholarship. And I did really well in school. I studied really hard. And that was something that I, I was important to me always growing up is I really wanted to do well in school because I knew <laughs> Like my family, if I wanted to go to college, then I was going to have to do it uh, because my family couldn't afford it. And so anyway, she called the school by the grace of God. It was totally, it was a God thing. I know it was. Um, I got almost a full scholarship to go to this little Christian university um, in Greenville, South Carolina that I'd never heard of, even though it was like an hour and a half away from my house. And um so I, I went there and in 2012, which was going into my sophomore year of college, 
I ended up getting saved and it was crazy. So, um, at that point in my life, I was heavily depressed. I was suicidal to the point of having a plan, knowing what I was going to do when I was going to do it. Um, and God intervened in a very, um, just crazy and like tangible way that I can't even explain to this day. I don't remember like the specific like time that I read this verse or I don't even remember if it like necessarily impacted me to such a degree that it has now, but I, for whatever reason, like Psalm 1828 has always just like stuck out to me, not even as like a favorite verse, but it was just like a life-changing verse, I guess, or it was so like, it just so applied to what physically happened in my life that I just like have never been able to get away from that verse. So Psalm 1828 says, you, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. And literally, if you've ever been like suicidal, like that is just like a darkness that you can't explain to somebody who's never been there before. Like, it's just such like a demonic, Mm. like void of emotion place. And he literally like, for whatever reason, (laughs) just like, I didn't, I didn't believe in God. Like, this is the thing. Like I, it's not like I was seeking him or like wanted a relationship with him. Like I was living how I wanted to live. Um, but he decided that I was, I don't know, like I had something for the rest of my life for him to do. I don't know. And he just intervened. I was literally like in my dorm bathroom floor when this happened. Wow. Oh my God. And everybody was gone for the weekend and I was by myself and I was crying and I like wanted to die. And God just like literally like came to me and I I can't explain it. And it sounds crazy. I sound very Pentecostal when I say this, my family's Pentecostal, so I can make fun of them. (laughs) Um, and I just knew like, it was just inevitable in that moment. Like this is, this is the real deal. Like this isn't just something that my crazy parents are like preaching at me all the time. And so, yeah, that verse has just always stuck with me, like the darkness to light of literally like coming out of physical darkness into light. And so I I don't know that that verse is just always kind of stuck in my mind. And when I was trying to think of brand names, like to brand myself and to like title, you know, what my business, um, I just kept going back. I was like, I don't want to do darkness to light. I don't want to do darkness to light. No, I'm like, I'm not in darkness anymore. I'm living in light. Right. And so that was kind of the birth of the, the name of my uh, company. And it's just, I feel like it really kind of speaks tr- to who I am and my life. And I, um, I feel like it was an ordained name. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it, it's, there's so much power. Like I have from, you know, the order that I place, I have the little card oh, that you put in there and I just, it, it really is. It's so, I feel like with every order, with every order, because you, you don't know who's, who's pressing, you know, order checkout. You don't know who's on the other end. You don't know where they are. They're at in their walk with God. And I feel like it's so prophetic. Like it's such a prophetic declaration of, you know, obviously when you get saved, you, you have to die, you die to yourself and there there's, there's new birth, you know, and um, 
that's when we really become alive you know, is when we're in Christ, you know, when we're before Christ, we're, we're, we're dead. We're, you know, in sin where there's, there's no hope, there's nothing. And then in Christ, you are truly living in the light. And right. it's, it's so prophetic. It's so amazing, especially, especially in today's world where I feel like darkness is just everywhere. Like you are shining this light so bright and I, oh, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> I, love it. <laughs> I love it. I I got to ask because I don't own a business. I don't own a Christian business. And I know that you use your platform to really push, you know, support small businesses, su- support Christian businesses because they're struggling. And like you said, there's an attack on any time you mention something, you know, with hope or, you know, giving God glory, anything you're automatically you know, crucified. And how do you shut the enemy up? Like, I'm sure that you and your husband, you know, have to have to silence the voice of the enemy, the, the discouragement, the, the people, the very real people, obviously, we don't battle against flesh and blood. But there are people out there who sit behind their their keyboards and, and they're, they're mean, they're hateful. How do you deal with that? What do you say? Um, it has been a journey of learning how to deal with people being mean on the internet. Um, I would say 2018 and 19 me would sometimes lash out in anger, uh, which you should not do. Um, (laughs) Because when you are, and I'm not saying this is an excuse, but when you're new to the internet and you're like, you love what you're doing and like you're having fun with it. And then you get those like messages and they're just so mean. And you're like, why did you like take the time out of your life to like be so unkind to another like stranger that you don't even know. And, you know, pride gets in the way and you feel like you have to like lash out back. And it just is like, Honestly, it's just a downhill spiral and it doesn't say anything about you as a believer. Um, So I think that was like the first lesson that I learned is you are like in the privacy of your messages, you're representing Christ. And um, another thing that Nick has always told me is, you know, don't ever say anything that you wouldn't want people to screenshot and blast on the internet, which is like, that is a good lesson for all business owners is do not ever say anything in your private messages because any old person can screenshot that message and put it out for the world to see. And it could ruin you if you say the wrong things. And so that has been so like convicting for me. Um, Nick is, Nick is a very like good teacher (laughs) in this realm of my life of like getting hot-headed because he's so like chill and I feel like he just he just handles things so much better than me he's like babe they're just strangers on the internet like why are you letting it affect you so much and I'm like I don't know just let me be mad (laughs) and (laughs) praise God for that because I completely understand that I am getting all in my feelings by at so and so and so and I'm like oh who do they think they are and my husband's the same way he's like what what are you doing calm down it's really not as bad as as you're taking it right now but that's my personality I'm like they hate me I don't know what to do you (laughs) 
I feel you, girl. And my husband humbles me all the time about it, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but anyway, you just really have to like take a step back and make sure that your words, even if their words are full of malice and full of hate and they're very mean and all you want to do is just like be mean back and like get it back at them and be like, ha, I can be mean too. Um, it does nothing for your witness. And the best thing that you can do is either respond in love. And something that I've learned recently is sometimes you don't have to respond at all. Actually, a lot of the time you don't have to respond at all. There's nothing on my page where I'm obligated to respond to you if you are being really hateful to me. And 99% of the time, if you even if you try to respond in love, when people are so like, when their hearts are so hardened towards you, it's really not the best place to try to have an open conversation on the internet. It's just not. If they could sit down in front of me at a table, at a restaurant or like getting coffee, it would be a totally different situation. People wouldn't actually talk to you like that, nor right. they, would they respond to you when you are being kind, like they're, they're probably going to respond in kindness and be like, Oh, well, you know, maybe you're actually a pretty cool person. Like we believe completely opposite beliefs and we can still love each other, but that's just not the case on the internet. So, um, I don't even think you should choose your battles. I think you should just humble your mouth, uh, mm -hmm. and humble your tongue and make sure that it is clothed in the gospel and nothing else, not your thoughts, nothing else. And so, um, that is, that's what I do. I either don't respond or I am as loving as I possibly can be. And it really doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I think you just kind of like get used to it, I guess. Uh, it's never fun, but it's more important to me. Um, to either love that person through a message or love them from a distance and not say anything at all than lash out in anger. So that is a lesson that has come from many years of learning. <laughs> That's good. I know that is a lot of people who might be listening right now could absolutely uh, just benefit from that advice because we yeah. just, it's so easy to just want to, what, what do they call it now? I feel, I feel so old, but, um, clap back that whole oh, your, yeah. your clap back, the, the power of your clap back. And I'm like, I don't necessarily know that Jesus clapped back at people. I'm not, I'm not so sure, you know, his, his words were, were, I don't, I never reactive. He always responded, you know, in love and, and, you know, it, it's something that I saw yesterday. Um, actually on Instagram, somebody said, um, they said, we have mistaken kindness for avoiding, you know, the hard topics. So we can still tell the truth. We can still, you know, the whole truth in love thing, the whole truth with grace, with, with mercy, right. um, but still remaining to the truth. And I feel like a lot of that remaining to the truth is sometimes, like you said, don't even respond, you know, because yeah. we get in the way. We want to get in, involved, and that's just given given the enemy room, you know. Yeah. That's that's so good. Um, so you have a beautiful daughter who yeah. is how old is she now? She's almost eighteen months. Lord, oh my 
uh, I still remember you sharing pictures of her pregnant. Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm her honorary auntie. She hasn't met me yet, but I'm like, oh, get it, Lila girl. You get it. You take those steps. You, you, <laughs> you get that I sass. It. I, I love it. Um, but so I was thinking about it the other day and obviously you are expecting number yes. two and yes. I don't know, I don't know if I missed it yet, but you haven't shared the gender yet. Have you? Okay. No. I'm like chomping at the bit. I'm like, I cannot wait. <laughs> this is, this is just, Oh, I'm so excited. But it, it really gets me thinking because, um, I think I said it before I hit record. Um, but I feel like it's going to sound so bad. It, it was totally the wrong thinking, but I feel like I trusted the Lord more before I had kids because I was only responsible for me. And, you know, I could go a day without eating. I could eat Top Ramen, you know, <laughs> like it's not a big deal. But after having kids, it was so much harder because I knew that I was responsible for them when in reality, I'm not responsible for them. Yeah. I'm just borrowing them, you know, um, but I was thinking about it and I'm like, okay, you have a small business, you know, that I believe that the Lord is showing favor to, he's going to bless it. And so you, one day you won't be able to say small business anymore. You know, it'll be a large business, um, so. <laughs> but how, how do you feel like you're going to share with, obviously Lila is young, but you know, the kids start asking questions. They're very receptive. They're very um, observant. How do you feel like you and Nick are going to handle teaching your babies, you know, about the world we live in and the things that you've gone through, you know, the, the haters, you know, how do you feel like you're going to share that with them? Do you feel like you'll kind of leave some parts out or do you feel like you're just going to be open with them and, and help them navigate it? Oh, I have no, sometimes I, I don't know. I don't know how people do it right now with older kids. And, you know, this is my first and she's still so little and I wish you would stay that way. And so we really haven't had to like run into any of that yet. But I know for a fact that if I am on the internet and that is like, you know, obviously my job, um, my kids are going to want to be on the internet. They're going to want to have their own Instagrams. And when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to have any of it. <laughs> Um, which I, I totally understand now being a parent, why they, they didn't want me to have any of that stuff, but my parents were also very, um, open with me about things. They never, I mean, I think they're, oh, I can't remember what the post said. Somebody posted something the other day about when you get asked a question, like as a Christian parent, like, aren't you worried about your kids being too sheltered? Mm. And the response to that was, and I, it was so eloquent the way that they put it and it's not going to sound as good when I say it, but it, the post was essentially saying like, I'm not sheltering them. I'm putting them in, like in a greenhouse mm. and just gave this picture of a greenhouse. So like things are still allowed to come in, but you, you as the parents are, are really getting to control like what is nurturing and actually growing your children um, and you're kind of controlling the narrative of, yes, like these are the things that are in the world that that might come in, but this is how we handle it as Christians. And this is what the, the Bible has to say about. It. And I was like, oh, I really, really like that picture of a greenhouse instead of just like completely cut off from the world, like completely isolated from what's going on. Like, no, we're not isolating them. We are controlling what they are hearing first about a topic 
and saying like, above all else, this is, this might be what you hear, but like, this is what God has to say. And obviously I haven't even had to like be in that position yet. Um, I would say first and foremost, (laughs) seeking wise counsel from women who know much more than me and who have older kids and who have done this before. Um, my mom, my, both my parents are saved. Nick's parents are saved. All of our siblings are saved. Like just, we have this like just wonderful bubble of believers who um, have kids and who have done this. So I feel like we are going to be well equipped (laughs) with what to do in situations because there's no way I'm going to know what to do. Um, But I, my hope is that I am well equipped in scripture enough to be able to kind of tackle conversations when they happen. And I want to be open with my kids if they're curious about something and it's age appropriate, like I want to be able to talk to them about it and be very honest because my parents were always just very transparent with me. And, you know, they, they wanted me to feel like I could come to them if I screwed up or if, you know, something was going on in my life. And I want to, I want to be that. I don't want to be their friend. Right. I want right. to be parents who they feel I love that. I love them so much that they can come to me when they've screwed up and obviously I still have to discipline them and that really stinks, but, um, but they know that they can like safely come to me. So honestly, I think I'm, we're just going to have to like roll with the punches, but we have so much wise counsel at the tips of our fingers that I think we'll be okay. <laughs> That's amazing. It's, it's really scary to think about because it is the world I think is, is really coming for kids um, through TV shows and through like media and just, they really don't want you to get to them first. They really want to control the narrative. And that is where you really have to above all else, just monitor what your kids are doing and what they're watching, um, and be their source of information and not let, you know, you have to be their source. You can't let somebody else give them the not you know gospel knowledge so i don't know i'm very intimidated by that <laughs> well you in my opinion are doing an amazing job um so far i mean at you know when i had my first i mean i definitely started early um but i i wasn't even thinking about this you know and and he's 11 now and even now, 11 years later, the world is, is a different place and it is, it's scary. It's, it's daunting sometimes, but we just have to keep living in the light and, And you you know, teaching them. You don't think about those kinds of things. When me and Nick didn't have kids, I didn't think twice about it. None, zero. And even when they're babies, like you don't really think about it, you know, cause they're babies and they, they don't do anything but lay there and be cute. But now that they're getting older and she's like repeating things that we're saying and like, you can tell she's just like getting a better understanding. And again, she's only 18 months old. Um, But that like has really made me start thinking about it. And then I think we're just in a different like world, even than five years ago. Um, I think it's so obvious that culture is coming for our kids. And that sounds like so like, conspiracy theorists like they're coming for your kids no it's reality (laughs) like it is reality as christian parents um they do not want your kids to believe like you 
They don't. And if you think that they do, you're wrong. (laughs) You're sadly mistaken. And so I think even if you don't have kids right now, like it's, it's just so blatantly apparent because culture is just like going in such a negative and scary direction that you can't like, you can't deny it at this point. It's just a different world. Right. Uh, You had shared something, um, a couple, I don't even remember. I feel like it was a month ago. You had shared something, um, that was posted on Nickelodeon. Yeah. And it was, it was seeing that I was like, Oh, there's no way. Cause we don't really watch, we don't really watch Nickelodeon. Um, we are more of like a Disney, you know, family. Like they just watch all the old classics. And, um, I was like, you know, man, is that really where we're at? Cause we don't pay for cable, you know, everybody, everybody streams now. <laughs> so, you know, I had not seen, you know, commercials and all of that. And, yeah. um, but you shared it and it was so, it was so a God thing because, you know, obviously I said, I have an 11 year old, um, son who is just pray for me, pray for to preteen years are just, Oh my gosh, I'm, I was not ready. I was not prepared. Uh, but I have a nine-year-old daughter who will be 10 in September, but then we have a two-year-old and then we have six month old twins. And so you shared that. And I went and looked at, um, we have this little Amazon tablet for our two-year-old and I I'll admit I'm not one of those moms that I am not doing, you know, letters with him every day. We're not reciting, you know, the pledge of allegiance. Like I have a a lot of demands right now. And so he hangs out on the tablet and he's content. And usually it's very, very wholesome. It's just, we're learning colors. We're learning, you know, sounds and I hear it and I'll see him and he'll, he'll sing along and dance. But I went and I picked up his tablet and lo and behold, that video that you talked about was on my son's tablet and it's it's for two-year-olds the the age limit is for two-year-olds and not only was it on there which I kind of I was surprised but I'm like eh, you know this is where this is where we're at with the world but it took it a step further because there was like glitter um motion graphic around that one video and yeah. I swiped and I went like a couple pages over to see if maybe it was another video that was going to be exactly the same. No, just that one Nickelodeon video was the circle graphic. And what's a two-year-old going to click on? Right, right. The pretty thing. They're going to click on the pretty sparkly thing. I was, I was just like, oh my gosh, two yeah. years old. It, I mean... It's just, but you're right. Like culture is coming. I mean, you know, I think we've seen it uh, building up. Um, you know, they were coming for marriages. Obviously, that is something that, you know, is is extremely controversial to say marriage is between a man and a woman. And, um, you know, there that's a union. That's a covenant between you, God, and and your spouse. Um, but you know, it's like the whole family aspect is under attack, and it's it's really hard. It, it, it's, it's so hard. It's, I mean, I, I will talk about it in another podcast, but you know, I, I dealt with a lot of shame and guilt for a long time because I am divorced. Um, you know, I had a previous marriage and and my two older ones are from that previous marriage, you know, but God, God is, God is gracious. God is, you know, he redeems, he restores, and I'm so grateful for him. But you know, today, 
it's like you can't even you can't even say the name Jesus, you know, without being murdered. And it's ugh, yeah, so hard. It is. It is intense, but. Scripture, I guess, does speak on it. You just don't, like, expect to actually, like, you know it's true, but then when it, like, is real life, I think it's it's a shock. It is. And in the past year, it has been the biggest shock of my life. To see people fall away, to see people sell out to culture, to, I mean, it's just, like, I like I know that you said it would be few and far between that make it to heaven, but like holy smokes, this is like few and far between. And I feel like nobody else believes like me. Um, but it's just reality, unfortunately. And we do stick out like sore thumbs. And because we stick out like sore thumbs, people are watching us even closer. And I just am I'm really trying to be mindful of that more and more and more of every little thing that I do, every little thing that I say. Um, just thinking, you know, this person, I don't know if they know me or not, but we might only have one interaction in our entire lifetime. And I want that interaction to be positive. So it's just, it's, it's wild. It's really wild. That's amazing. Um, so is there as, as a Christian business owner, is there anything any advice, any encouragement, any, anything at all? I mean, you already gave us some really, really good tips on, you know, the don't respond thing, but is there anything that you could say to maybe somebody who's listening and they, they're just right there on the cusp, like, this is hard. I don't know if I can do it. Um, you know, people feel like, you know, God called me to do this. God spoke it. You know, I want to be obedient, like you said. Um, but they just don't feel like they can, they can handle it anymore. Is there anything that you could say to somebody listening? Um, the number one thing, this is going to be like random, my random piece of advice that I, I think is really important. The first thing is I do believe like, obviously God calls certain people to do certain things. And I do feel like there was some kind of calling for me and Nick to pursue like this online journey But I also think, yes, God calls you to do things, but he also expects you to like, go and do it. Like he Mm -hmm. doesn't need to like, tell you every little thing. And I, I think some people get so stuck in like, I just want to like confirmation, I want confirmation, confirmation. And I totally get that. Like in certain situations, like you do need to be on your face, praying about it and making sure like what you're doing is, is good. But when you're building a business, if you are staying within scripture, if you are making sure that everything you're doing aligns with what the Bible says, and you feel like it's something that you are good at that can contribute to the kingdom, do it. There's no way that God is not pleased with something that you are passionate about, that you are giving to the kingdom to grow it. And to be, you know, in front of people and speaking truth, like sometimes you don't need confirmation about every little thing. You just got to run out there and do it. And that is just the honest to Lord truth. I've talked to so many people that said like, I'm just waiting on confirmation. I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm like, stop waiting. Just do it. That is so good. I feel like it's like Christian procrastination. Like, 
Oh, it I kind of is. On that. I gotta pray on that. I gotta pray. Why? Like he has already said, do it. You know, yeah. and oh, that's that's so good. And I get it. Listen, like especially as new Christians, um, like when I was a new Christian, you really do like you want to pray about everything, which is good. Like you should pray about everything. God appreciates it. Like He wants you to talk to Him. But sometimes I just picture him like looking down at us and he's like, I know that you love me. And like, you're just like, bless your heart. Like, I feel like he uses that phrase, bless your heart. Like you are doing your best, honey. But sometimes you just got to get there and do it yourself. <laughs> like that is no more handholding, like go do right. it. <laughs> um, that I think, I think that was like, one of the things that really helped me the most is because I, I grew up in a Pentecostal family, love them. I, they are wonderful. And I think Nick was like, why you gotta be praying about every little thing? Like, dude, you just gotta do some things. And I was like, you know what? I guess if I'm like doing it in the name of the gospel, like, yeah, you're right. Why, why should I not be doing it? But, um, other than that, I just, you know, being, really mindful. Like I said, I feel like I'm saying the same things, but it's just, it's so true in every aspect of your business. Just make sure that everything you do, um, we try to set like visions and goals for our business. And I think it's not only like a really great, just business, like straight up business, um, tool to use is to have an overarching vision. Like at the end of the day, what do you want this business to achieve? Like in the future, a long time from now, what's your overarching vision? And then what are your goals underneath it? Um, and I think you need to make those, those things for your business and make sure like, is my vision aligning with scripture? Are my goals aligning with scripture? Like, yes, you want them to grow your business, but ultimately those growth things need to align with what God says. Um, and just really praying about what you do and making sure that your mindset isn't veering from those goals and that vision. Um, and just doing it. I mean, it, there's, it's really hard to give advice when you're growing a business because every business is going to look so different in the way that you do it, depending on the type of person who's doing it, like what you're selling. But at the end of the day, I truly, truly, truly believe if you are taking a step back and looking at your business and saying, I want this to please God, how can I do that? Then you're doing the right thing. And other than that, you just have to, you know, figure out how to grow. And there's lots of great tools online that aren't even scripturally based um, that just are, are really helpful to learn how to navigate things and learn how to navigate social media and learning all the technical stuff. But if you're, if your business aligns with the Lord, like you don't really have anything to worry about, you know? And I That's think amazing. when you're pleasing God, he will provide, uh, when you're stepping out in faith, he will provide. And he promises that it might not be the way that you, you thought it would be. And it might not be this massive growth that you pictured, but he will provide, he will. And so, you know, you, you don't have anything to worry about. That's so good. That's amazing. Oh. But I think you're preaching to me today because <laughs> I sit in that. Let me put, let me pray about it. Let, let me. We all do. <laughs> we all do, and we all worry. I worry all the time, especially about my child. I like have obsessive thoughts about what's going to happen to her, like in the next hour. <laughs> I get it. 
up, but thank you so much, uh, you know, for being here and for sharing your wisdom. I feel like there's so much more I could have asked you and I, I loved picking your brain and just hearing your story and hearing about your sweet family. Um, but obviously we, we have to respect your time, the listener's time, my husband, who was taking care of my children, uh, in the name of Jesus, they were doing all right. But tell tell whoever's listening, how can they find you? Where can they find you? Where do they got to go to to subscribe to your Patreon, to, to order these amazing T-shirts that um, I am going to post a picture of myself wearing them. I just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get the right angle. <laughs> but, I feel you. I feel you. Um, where can so, we find you? Um, so my main Instagram is called to the light. Uh, my Instagram for my clothing line is little co it's L I T L C O. Uh, and you can also purchase our stuff at littleco.com. And then I think my Facebook is facebook.com slash Alyssa Brooke Griner. Um, I think that's all my websites. We're trying to, we're trying to kind of come into one platform. So all of that might be changing soon. Um, oh, and you can subscribe to us on our platform. It's patreon.com slash living in the light, um, which we're really excited about. And it's been growing and it's just been um, just the group that's there so far is just really positive and encouraging and uplifting to us, which has been a big deal. So I'm really, really appreciative and I'm humbled that you even asked me to be on your podcast. It's so special um, to meet other like-minded believers and just to get to hang out and be friends and grow. And it's just really exciting. And I'm, I'm really thankful that you asked me to do this. Well, thank you for being here. I feel like, you know, when you're on there and you're talking about, you know, we got to support each other, we got to support other Christians, we, you know, it's, I feel like sometimes the world can, can skew it and say like, oh, they're, they're creating an army, they're banding together. And it's like, no, yeah, we need to band together, not to be against them, but for them you know, for the loss, like the Lord desires that not one would perish, you know? And so by us being kingdom, us joining together, being, we're sisters in Christ, you know? Um, I feel like it's, it's just a glorious display of heaven on earth, you know? Yeah, I agree. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. Um, I'm so, so excited uh, for what's to come. And again, if you're listening and I, I'm sure you want to know more about living in the light, please go follow her on Instagram, Facebook. If you can't find it, message me and I'll, I'll send you the link directly. So thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs>
If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. It's Tuesday, July 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Asa Sharma. Thanks for being here. Chris, thank you for having me. Let me just say up front, I have no idea what the audio sounds like. We, we, due to extenuating circumstances, Asad and I are flying solo on the audio. So if the audio is not good, it'll be better tomorrow, I promise. But um, you know, Hey, Chris, again, there, there is a really old French movie. It used to be famous, but you know, time flows. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of this, but I think it's called Don't Shoot the Piano Player. <laughs> and I feel like we're, that's ne- the never. theme for our audio today. <laughs> don't Shoot the Piano Player. <laughs> I've not heard of that, but after this episode, I'm going to go to IMDb and look it up. Um, We've got home improvement. We've got aircraft. We're going to start with automotive. Tesla's second quarter profit was not only higher than expected, it came in north of $1 billion for the first time ever. There's always a lot to get to with Tesla, whether it's the actual results or comments on the conference call. I'm, I'm curious what stood out to you. Well, Chris, I'm impressed by these results. I mean, Tesla, despite a lot of challenges, had a great quarter in sales, sales up 98%. But the thing that really leaps off the page is this automotive gross margin, which has improved about three percentage points over the last four quarters, enabling them to generate that higher profit. And they did it without a lot of these regulatory credits. So in their automotive revenue, they're transferring credits. They're getting revenue from the sale of governmental credits. That's a smaller and smaller component of revenue. So what you got here was a great sales increase in a supply-constrained quarter in which the company had to swap out chips and rewrite firmware, rewrite software on its automobiles. They still managed to generate a bunch of net income, $600 million plus in, in free cash flow. So before we get to the more colorful details, which always surround Tesla, let's give them an A for this report. Now I want to know about the colorful de- details. <laughs> I mean, yes, give so, them an okay, A for so the beginning. Give them an A for this report, and I'll, I'll, just one other data point I'll add. Yeah, their please. profit was ten times higher than a year ago. I, I mean, it's just staggering when you see that kind of growth. And I, even allowing for the pandemic, it's it's just incredible. But let's move on to the color. Yeah. So one thing which I think some shareholders are going to feel sad about and some will appreciate, yesterday, Elon, Elon Musk said that he's not going to participate in conference calls going forward. Now, I'm old enough to remember several quarters ago when Elon was dissing the the very analysts who were sort of responsible for the information flow that helped Tesla raise money in the capital markets. But I think everyone will agree with his sort of mercurial temperament. Maybe for a couple of quarters, that's good to have less commentary, more results. I also like that Tesla now is sort of proving out its ability to operate at scale. So it looks like it could be less reliant on secondary stock offerings, debt. Just, hey, if you can plow this amount of profits and cash flow through each quarter, then you'll begin to accumulate those on your balance sheet and self-fund all those new adventures. So that's one part of it. And I think the other bit of color for me was just the further delay in the Cybertruck. Of course, I think the reasoning is good uh, this is we're seeing this throughout the automotive industry, and you and I have talked about this. The chip shortage is sort of hammering the ability of automakers to 
innovate their their latest models and produce. So I guess we can give them a pass there. But in terms of Elon being mum on these quarterly reports, I'm actually all for it. What what about you, Chris? I mean, I think, uh, first of all, I wouldn't I wouldn't assume that this means he's never going to be on a conference call. True. I, you know, he, he's, it's perfectly within his purview to change his mind on that. Um, I, I'm just reminded of uh, the episode a couple of years ago with Twitter and sort of him essentially backing off Twitter or, or at least calming down what he was posting on Twitter. And that seemed to work out well for shareholders. So I, I don't think if you're a sh- like, look, from an entertainment standpoint, yes, I would love him to be on every quarterly conference call. If you're a shareholder of Tesla, I don't think you're looking at this and thinking this is to the detriment of the business. True, true that. We'll see. I, I mean, let's see, maybe next quarter he jumps back in. <laughs> but at least that was the message after earnings. Let's move to the skies. Aircap is the largest aircraft leasing company in the world, and it is about to get even larger because earlier today, antitrust regulators in the European Union approved Aircap's $30 billion bid to buy General Electric's aircraft leasing business. This is not an industry I pay a whole lot of attention to, but this you pointed this out this morning. A deal like this between the two biggest companies in the industry. Are you at all surprised this got approved? I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. I'm not. I'm not trying to tell the antitrust regulators how to do their job, and I have nothing against either of these businesses. Just on the surface, it's a little surprising, right? Yeah, I think so because this is a case of the really strong just getting stronger and bigger. Aircap had its financing already lined up for the deal. They didn't seem to have any concerns that there would be antitrust issues. And the European regulators are known for raising their hand and saying, wait wait a minute, guys. Everyone, slow down here. We, we need to really take a look at this deal. So, to get this sort of clean bill of slate uh, in the merger is, I mean, it's great for Aircap. They've got a very simple business model. Because they're already so big, they get huge discounts from the airplane manufacturers. Then they lease those planes back out to various airlines at a nice profit. They've had a focus over the last several years in decreasing the age of their fleet, focusing on newer technology aircraft. That business model is working very well for them. They took some hits last year when all travel stopped, but because they're so well diversified among wide body and narrowed body jets and and among carriers of different sizes, it really was sort of just a blip on the, the longer term road to dominance in this industry. They had last quarter a record number of aircraft that they leased. So they're going to benefit as now the world comes back closer to normal, Delta variant notwithstanding. So you've got here a company, if you like, the business model, which may be poised to show some more of the strength that its fans have been advocating for. And last point that I want to say on this before um, hearing what, what your take on this is, our colleague Jim Gillies and I have both sort of been fans of this company as a value play. We were chatting about it last year uh, during the spring when everything looked bleak during the pandemic. And I think that robust, diversified business models sort of proved out the, the points that, that our friend Jim was making and, and that I was making too. This now with, with this deal, they just become bigger and stronger. It's hard to see anyone else ever being a viable challenger to their business. Now people will be the, the various other 
lessors will be vying for the number two spot. And you look at the market cap for AirCap, I mean, it's basically back where it was pre-pandemic. So, um, it'll be interesting to see as this deal progresses, as they close it, you know, what, what this business looks like a year from now. I, to me, I, you know, part of me looks at this deal and thinks, if you're a general electric shareholder, I, I, I should just add the descriptor, long-suffering. If you're a long-suffering <laughs> GE shareholder, you're probably happy about this deal because it's... Uh, it's one less thing in the conglomerate, right? It's for whatever good that may have done the bottom line for GE, it enables Larry Culp and his team to just get more focused about writing the ship that is GE. Um, but from Aircap standpoint, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to see where this business is in 12 months. Yeah, maybe we'll revisit next, this time next year. To borrow from Larry David, second quarter results for Sherwin-Williams were Pretty good. Profits a little lower than expected. Revenue in line with expectations. Shares of the paint maker down about 2%. I don't know. This this seems like a, a return to normalcy. Um, and I say that because shares of Sherwin-Williams, even with the slight drop today, are up more than 30% over the past year. And this is about as slow and steady and boring a business as you can find. Um, but if you're a shareholder... Holy cow, has this been rewarding? You know, Chris, when you're watching the paint dry, you're waiting and waiting. But when your guests finally come, they look at your beautiful walls, you feel so great. And this is the case, right? If you've been a Sherwin-Williams shareholder for the last 10 years and reinvested your dividends, you are up 1,100%. Now, in the, the these near-term periods, it can move around a little bit. I think this is just shareholders, some nearer term shareholders taking profits, but a strong picture here. We had a 17% year over year increase in the quarter. Um, this was a quarter in which things, as you mentioned, sort of returned to normal. The, the retail sales that they've been running off of for the last several quarters took a breather because we're doing a little bit less of the do-it-yourself at-home projects as more of us are now having to either go back to work or start a more hybrid environment where maybe we're showing up a couple of times a week in person. Uh, the company, though, saw a lot of solid strength in architectural paints, the types of paints that and um, supplies that are associated with economy and economy that's kicking into gear, which is exactly what the U.S. economy is doing. So here's another diversified business model. It's got that side, which is very business focused. It's got the consumer side. One drops off a little bit. The other takes over. You have to like that. And, and I want to say too, the, the ability of this company just to generate solid cash flow, maybe that's a theme for me today, is also extremely impressive. Before we came on air, I was looking at, just for the last year, its um, net income and cash flow generation. So, you're looking over the last trailing 12 months at $2.1 billion in net income, but $3.3 billion in free cash flow. This is a hugely strong business. And uh, I think, too, it's a company I want to look at, actually not next year, but in five years. I want to see if Sherwin-Williams will continue to be this paint-drying-on-the-wall company where it's up another several hundred percent as you just take a periodic look at it. Yeah, without dividends, 
It's up 10 times in the last 10 years. In the last 20 years, it's up more than 35 times in value. And if I can ever shut up long enough about this business, I am going to buy some shares. I mean, it's very high on my watch list because it's just, as I've said before, nobody buys a home and thinks to themselves, all this, this looks good to me. These colors are good. I'm not going to change anything. And, you know, and you think about, um, the rise of extreme weather and what that does to exterior paint. Um, I don't know. It seems like the life cycle for um, exterior paint for homes is getting shorter, and that's only going to benefit the Sherwin-Williams of the world. That's a great point. I, I also want to point out that with that sort of long-term demand that's just always there, they have a choice. You know, They can take their foot, management can take their feet off the, the gas pedal but they continue to invest. They're, they're buying back shares, which, okay, is an investment when you're generating so much cash. You can, you can repurchase uh, a quite a decent amount of shares. They, I think they bought back about 3.1 million shares in this quarter they just report on. But they opened 25 new stores. So they're continuing to get that retail footprint expansion, keep it in gear. And they're also really investing in technology. It's a company that you wouldn't think is a great R&D vehicle. But over the years, that's exactly what Sherwin-William has done. It's one of the things they've done best is to keep up with the formulation of their products. So, Chris, when you and I, or let's say commercial builders, have to go in and repaint the exterior of a house, they can sell a, a better formulation and at least show that, well, this one will have a little bit longer shelf life. Now, of course, they don't want to optimize it to where we don't want to replace it every few years. There's a, there's a certain amount of engineering you want to, to be very careful with. But I think Sherwin-Williams knows how to hit that sweet spot. Well, and you point something out about uh, the management at Sherwin-Williams that I think is so important for any business. I mean, we're talking about paint. We could be talking about a cloud business, a software business. We could be talking about anything. Um, and it's one of those skills that's so important and doesn't really show up except with time. And it is the way that they manage the business, sort of the management of the money, the capital allocation. How good is a management team at deciding we're going to buy back shares? Um, we're going to increase the dividend. How good are they at picking locations for their stores. It's the sort of thing that you you want that to matter, and it's very important, but it's only going to reveal itself. It's, it's one of those things that you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, now that we look back over the last 10 years, yeah, they really are good at that. They really, it turns out this, this management team really is good at capital allocation. There's so many companies, Chris, that reach the state of stable cash flows and pretty nice growing revenue and profits, but fewer are the companies that can take that state and optimize it over a long period of time. So absolutely, it's a rare quality in a management team to do this for more than a few years, let alone throw in some decades and just keep up great performance that pleases shareholders. So we, we definitely have to give management kudos there. And I think that's been a, a theme lately as we've we're looking at companies together. How good are they at allocating capital? This one gets some solid uh, grades from me. Asa Charma, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Chris. Fun as always. 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Jungle.